Welcome to School of Movies. <laughs> the Fate of the Furious. You know what I like about you, Dom? You're a genuine outlaw. But you're a family. The hell of a job, brother. When we get back to the base, beer's on me. He's about to go up against the only thing they can't handle. You. Did you ever think you'd betray your family the way you did today? Dominic Toretto just turned on us. Well, well, well. Do you look at that? I don't know why he's doing this, but that wasn't Dom. She's the very definition of high-tech terrorism. And now, she's working with your guy. Ouch. This is impossible. Which is why you're gonna need a little help. I will beat you like a Cherokee drum. It took longer than I expected. Laying back in the cut like that. Here they come. I don't know if the old Dom is in there. I don't give a damn. I'm taking you down. Toretto, let's play. Why are they shooting at me? I don't know. Maybe because you're in an orange Lamborghini. Shut up, Jazz. Switch it, switch it up. Switch it up. Speak up, Box Blast. Back on family. It has been a long time since our 2015 series of episodes covering films 1 through 7, and now we are firing the engine back up again to cover films 8 and 9 of the Fast and Furious franchise. Joining us once again is the man who got us into the really good period of this series, Mr. Neil Taylor of Game Burst. Hello. Hello again, Neil. Welcome back. I'm always happy to be here, especially on this franchise. Yeah. Um, we didn't cover The Fate of the Furious on release because we wanted to wait and see whether the series got better again after this troubled, troubling, disappointing episode. And at the time of recording this section, we are still some weeks off of Hobbs and Shaw in the cinema. So we don't know yet whether it picks up. But the odds are good because I don't think I'm alone in saying this, that the new film seems to showcase the best aspects of Furious 8, namely the still very game Dwayne and the definitely on board to be continuously entertaining Jason Statham. It could be worse than this film, but it feels like they would have to almost try to accomplish that. We can look at the Fast and Furious series in three distinct periods so far. The first three were strangely unconnected, and the producers clearly didn't have that defined of a plan. With, no. <laughs> with the second following Brian and trying to make up for the lack of Vin Diesel with the introduction of Tyrese Gibson, and the third having neither of them. The second period was when everything was working really well. We can count the fourth film as some kind of a somber prelude to five, six, and seven, which were about epic, frenetic car heists with stunts only really rivaled by Fury Road and a cast of colourful characters making up a scrappy family connected by blood and marriage and engine oil and pitched to us more like Marvel superheroes than the point-break bank robber analogues of the original The Fast and the Furious. So this 2017 entry was the first of this third period, first of the new Furious films that they had to do entirely without Paul Walker. 
and something is missing from the chemistry beyond this one key actor that made the second period film so good. I suspect this is the case with a lot of people because I've not heard that many people raving about this one despite its success. So let's take a look under the hood and see what the problems are here because from where I'm standing, your block and your crankshaft are working fine, but your tone cylinders are firing erratically, your heart pistons are getting stuck for lengthy passages, and the distributor has lost all connection with the fuel line. So we begin in Cuba with a street race, which Dominic wins with a smile, proving that he is still the very best race boy. Now, I thought this when I saw it first time, but that was a terrible way to open this particular film in retrospect. You may or may not agree, folks, but if I'm right about this, how might doing it differently have benefited the story? This is open to everyone. It's a very weird scene because it does not contain any of the tone of the following movie. It's a throwback, which mm-hmm. is after watching, well, partially watching, I'm sorry. I, I tried to watch the commentary and F, uh, I'm sorry, the director's competent, but the, the commentary is not not interesting. F. Gary Gray, this is. Is he not interesting to listen to? He spends a lot of time thanking other people. Okay. It's generous of him, but... It's generous of him, but trying to get his thoughts on this was they wanted to do this as a throwback to the older fans who'd got into it doing the street racing thing, which, okay, I get it. I get why you want to do that, but you're trying to show two things. You're doing the throwback for the fans, but you're also showing to try and show the growth of Dom and Letty together as a couple. Mm -hmm. You know, this is meant to be their honeymoon. This is meant to be their their happy time, which is about to go so, so horribly wrong. Because if you remember, folks, in Six, Letty, who was amnesiac, this is very soap opera, but uh, she got her... She she never really got her memories back, but she was convinced by Dominic to come back and be the person she was before. They went to Race Wars at the beginning of Seven, but they haven't had any real time alone and Letty's been troubled since then. Yeah, in Seven, she does start to remember things yeah. again and things are starting to come back. But the whole point was always that it was a it was a slow growth, that she had to have faith in what they'd had in order to be able to put things back together again. Also, we haven't seen the first Seven for a long, long time. I'm only just remembering now. The original ending of Seven before Paul Walker died was supposed to be a big reveal and it always felt kind of sidelined by the fact that it was such a monumental ending. Ending, but he and Letty actually got married back in the Dominican Republic at the beginning of uh, Fast and Furious 4. So technically, Letty is now his wife, hence the honeymoon thing. Mm. I, went to, I didn't go into this watching the previous ones either, so this was kind of a cold thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I said this to you in, in, a, in a message earlier. I went into this in a very weird context, because before this, I had just watched all three Toy Story films back to back. That is something I don't think anyone's ever done before. All three Toy Story films, then Fast and Furious 8. You people are going to sit there and scratch it. Well, why does that matter? Well, actually, to be fair, a lot of what Toy Story is about is about a group of friends that are bonded as family. Mm-hmm. Sound familiar at all? It does. Mm. So, uh, has this given you an angle on 8? Yeah. What the hell happened to the characters? <laughs> Seriously. That's a good question. Although, for saying that, it didn't strike me until about halfway through the film, but they have in this intro three things that the best of this franchise have really leaned heavily on, mm-hmm. and they are almost completely absent. Hang on a minute. No, they are completely absent from the rest of the film. Mm. Son... Fun and bum. <laughs> there is, they're in Cuba. 
There are beaches. There is blue sky. It is beautiful. All the butts you could shake a stick at. They're all the butts you could shake a stick at. And believe me, the butts are a shaking. <laughs> and everybody You've got the uh, Cuban stand-in for Rita Ora in, yeah. uh, in Six. Absolutely. They, everybody has a smile on their face. And despite the fact that there is that minor little bit of, of rivalry with the guy who is annoyed with Dom's cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, so who I'm assuming only there. had to be his cousin so that they could get the family link. Yeah. Um, but everybody seems to be enjoying themselves. And then Carly's Theron turns up and it all falls off a cliff. Yeah, it gets very dark yeah. very quick. And they don't go back to that again. If you remember from the from most of the other films, with the possible exception of four, after every significant kind of segment of the film, every act change, if you will... They throw butts in? They throw butts in. They do. They have a little, you know, booty shake or a car. Are you actually kind of, talking of in a positive way about female objectification? Hey, I am merely observing <laughs> that if there's something that has contributed to the success of those previous films and the... Okay, maybe not the success, because you said this one actually did quite well, box office-wise. Well, quite well. I'll tell you how much in a bit. In terms of engagement, certainly for me. Now, maybe it's just me. But I think the butts may have something. But we to do said with it. back in 2015, it's so leery and like old, old manish, like at the disco, going, "Check I out know, those girls." But I can't bones. argue with results. They take the butts out, and suddenly I'm less interested. <laughs> Okay, so you heard say it here I'm so first. glad it's Sharon saying all this and not the Muir. Yeah, right. absolutely. Well, me and you wouldn't have dared, Neil. Uh, <laughs> true, true. Uh, but uh, it is an incisive point you make about the, the lack of butts, and I, now I feel like Laura K. Buzz here. But. Rumba, songo, timbisong. Mula, tata, vapirong. Donde quiera, yo rumbón. Y si no, pa' malecón. No fui mala caca, en la descaca. Confundo la caca. Y que se te supo donde salga. Okay, right, so the actual street race thing, when I first saw it, I sort of came away from that bit going, this is the bit where Dom needs to lose. He needs to like be all cocky and be just like the Dominic we saw in 2000 and uh, you know do this street race. And it seemed like he's just going to romp it and it'd be filmed like every other Fast and Furious. Like, is Dominic going to win? Of course he's going to win. He always wins everything. Still a buster. But in this one case, he doesn't. And he crashes and he almost dies. That would be a huge new development because Dominic would then be suddenly very aware of his age, mm-hmm. his... Like the passage of time, a sense of maybe not being the top dog anymore. He's done so many things. There's so many miles on the uh, uh, the clock now that maybe he's a little scared as a result of this. And, uh, like, you know, maybe his, his cousin loses his car and he says, ha ha ha, now I get to keep your car. And so he has to give away this car to this guy. And it it feels... Like you know, Dominic feels unsettled, which then, if you then lead it on to um, Cipher turning up, feels like she might have caught him on a bad day, which is why she's able to manipulate him so easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it does seem like she does it effortlessly. She does. Yeah. yeah. I think as well. I also get a vibe of, and I'm going to butcher the name because I can't remember it off the top of my head. The, the, this opening feels like almost a a sequel, in essence, to is it Los Bandoleros? 
Los Bandoleros. Uh, uh, oh, the, the short, the, the, the the short one that goes with uh, four. Yeah, that happens that, when they're in the Dominican Republic. Yeah, the one that uh, I think Vinci's actually directed. It feels like it's a it's sort of a, a big screen version of that, hmm. and keeping in sort of almost the tone of that, showing the romance and, and the love between Letty and Dom hmm. and Chekhov's baby. Chekhov's. Can I call it that? Uh, That's che- a good term Chekhov's for maternal it. instinct. Yeah. Oh, I just mm, this is this <laughs> is where the the real gripe that I have with this film kicks in. I've got a big thing about Elena later. Do you want to talk about this now, or do you want to like set it up? Can now? do. Although, yeah, to to just set it up by saying that the part of the appeal of this franchise has always been that despite its leeriness, despite its objectification, despite the acres and acres of female flesh that it is continually insisted on putting on display, the the central female characters have always been handled with uh, a, a sympathetic approach and a degree of empowerment, and not always in the same way as well. They've had a number of female characters all playing off each other in, in certain circumstances. They don't do that thing where there's one girl and she acts in a certain way. Mm. There's, you know, even from, from the start, you've got Letty and... Mia. Mia. And they are both very different and they both approach things in a very different way. And I've always really appreciated that. And in this, it almost feels like they've gone, okay, well, we've got Carly's Theron here, so we can chuck all the other women out the back and throw them under the bus. Yeah. Mm. I would agree with that 100%. That's one of the things I I think I'm going to be down on a lot of this movie with this. I will be up on some things because this movie does contain two of my favourite scenes ever. And I I do love Charlize Theron as a villain as this because she is just a psychopath. And she's unrepentant and unforgiving. And I do like that about her because I didn't realise Charlize Theron could be such a villain. And I kind of enjoyed that. But... The we we we've gone from having Mia Giselle going down to to to, to Letty and oh, uh, let's not forget um, Gina Carano as Riley. Turned out to be a villain, but hey, um, but um, but I mean that's something. That's like an extra oh, yeah, that's a, a lady doing something awesome. And she was uh, also yeah, one. Elena as well in in four mm-hmm. and five and, Elena. and six. Eva Mendes as Monica Fuentes, Ronda Rousey as Kara in Furious Seven. Who really needs to come back? Devon Aoki as Suki. Natalie Kelly as Neela from Tokyo Drift. All these women, these female characters are still alive and untapped as characters. In this film we get Charlize Theron, who, like you said, pretty much they seem to... The, the scriptwriter went, well, we'll give everything to her. Yeah, her name's Cypher. Goddamn you, Cypher. Would you rather be eating steak? Yes. Mm. Believe it or also, not, you piece of shit, her, you're still gonna burn! They give her the name of a character from the first Matrix, yep. the look of a character from the second Matrix. Is she carrying anything oh, from Revolution? Like every other person in the second and third <laughs> Matrix has dreadlocks. <laughs> we don't get to know Ramsey that well, but we know most of her character from the previous film. Most of her character is, she's a hacker. And then we get to the things that really make me mad about the, the female characters in this film. You woman in fridge, Elena. Mm-hmm. A big old glass fridge. Mm-hmm. Which really pissed me off, because I like that character. Yeah. And it, it, just when you were coming with that, they make Letty nothing in this. After we see everything Dom goes through to try and get Letty back, she almost feels very passive. Don't get me wrong, she fights when she needs to. 
But she feels almost passive and backseat takes a backseat to Hobson Shaw. That mm. starts so early on, right to that first scene where they're in bed and she's talking about the fact that they've never discussed whether or not they plan to have children before. Her lines are terrible. Whoever wrote this script, it feels like they didn't read them through a second time. They just wrote down what popped into their head and then that's it, that'll do. And the delivery felt really off like it did not feel like michelle rodriguez and uh, i don't know if alex will mention this in behind the scenes i know michelle rodriguez had a big problem with the way the women were treated especially in this film she was Mm. pretty cross yeah she actually said she would uh, walk unless they started changing things around with this uh for perspective on the writers this was written by chris morgan who wrote seven six five four and tokyo drift i don't i don't get it yeah, I don't either. What, what, did he have a writing partner or someone helping him no. that maybe wasn't credited? Because no. it just I, is I, one guy. I, I, I don't know who to be more mad, uh, mad about. Elena getting so short shrift in this film, which is so terrible, or Letty, who is robbed of almost everything that she's, made Letty Letty. She's robbed of a very prominent, assertive, leadership-based agency. Mm. And it feels like that was in service of putting Dwayne Johnson front and centre, which uh, he just needs to be standing in a room when he's front and centre. So they would have had to have worked hard to push Letty, but they don't work hard to push Letty. And Letty is one of my favourite characters. I have a huge crush on Michelle Rodriguez anyway, but (laughs) Letty is one of my favourite characters because she isn't this dour little flower. She will kick your ass if you piss her off. And I love that about her, that she will stand and fight for what she believes in. And when Dom is gone... She should be the one that's in charge. And she wasn't. It's it's sort of sidelined to to the boys. This is a it's the boys takeover movie. And that that irks me because this franchise has built on being for every something for everybody and it takes that away and it takes this very strong female character that I love and just gives us such short shrift. And specifically as well, it's the boys who are from the fringe of this group. Although Hobbs is obviously very important to them, he's not a core part of the crew. No, he's he's not one of the originals. And for no reason, they're very forgiving of sure, which makes no goddamn sense. I mean, we know his baby brother was, you know, we took him out, but it's just because it's, oh, it's Jason Statham. We'll let him, we'll forgive him. We'll, we'll forgive him. That's, this guy murdered Hon in cold blood, blew up your house, tried his best to kill you, dropped a garage on you, well, parking garage on you, and you suddenly you all seem to be okay with him there. Yeah, this is, uh, I think there was a Justice for Han hashtag where a lot of people were not happy about the, the fact that uh, uh, Deckard Shaw was uh, suddenly effectively in the gang after just a couple of arguments. Mm. Yeah, which there's no reason that that couldn't happen, but this is going to be a theme that I have a feeling I'm going to keep coming back to as we talk about this film, and that's the conversations that needed to yeah. happen and didn't. Stuff getting crowbarred in really quickly without yeah. the uh, dr- dramatic... Uh, I don't want to say dr- dramatic licence. It's not the correct use of the term, mm. uh, but like, as in the, the drama to licence you to do that. Yeah. They they do a lot of bullshitty hand waving ex- ex- explanations. Your 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 explanation for Decature is oh he was in the army but Cipher blackmailed him into being a villain. Mm. Then why was he such a psychopath last time? Yeah, and uh, we, we, you know you, rewatching Seven, you have to then <clears throat> uh, either manu- remanufacture a sense of threat from him 
or just feel no sense of threat from him. Like this movie actually makes some previous aspects of the the franchise less good, less uh, clear, less um, effective. It feels like, oh, the fans really like this character and they like this actor. Well, let's have him be a good guy now. Then mm. it's it's very. You know what? Bring us back to a podcast we previously. It feel you called it soap opera. It feels very wrestling, mm. doesn't it? He was a heel in the last film, but he's turned face this time. <laughs> he's one of the good guys. It feels wrong. like wrestling when they get it wrong. Yes, when they rush. Yeah, like uh, a certain Roman Reigns, where they're like, "Oh, he's totally the champion now," and the rest of the crowd goes, "Is he?" Yeah. <laughs> hey, are you looking forward to him cropping up in Deckard and Shaw? I am. I'm hoping like, that I everyone's really am, happy actually. to see it. Actually, yeah. so nice, but, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> that, that's what it feels like. It feels a very hand wavy. Uh, he's a good guy now. Yeah, you like him. And what sucks about it is I'm actually behind him being one of the good guys. Yeah. he's really entertaining. It's he's fine. great at doing Just this. Just explain it better. <laughs> yes, and uh, you know what? He has perfect chemistry with the Rock. Hence mm. why we are getting Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah, and which is quite funny because. The second sort of opening part of this film is literally a, hey, do you want to see these two guys together? Look how good they are. Look at the banter. Look at the banter. Look at the action. Eh? Eh? You want this? Full movie? Hey? Hey? But but there you go. That's how you set that up. You said his chemistry with Dwayne Johnson is great, and it is. So you make him the hinge point. The crew are here. Hobbs is leading them into this mission, whatever it is. And then he says, and I'm bringing Deckard Shaw on board. Everybody else objects. And then they have a back and forth that basically says, look, we need an extra guy for this because we are absent Dom. Someone needs to advocate for him. He's the person that I know can get this done. And then gradually they grudgingly start to accept him. It it, it makes sense if the, uh, uh, the, the team, the family share the audience's animosity towards Deckard Shaw. Absolutely, yeah. So then you can have that argument play out on screen yeah. and eventually reach the conclusion of, OK, you have actually saved lives here. Mm. OK. Surfing on the way back Oh, you can make a splash Maybe what you say On another round Cause you got my gun unloaded my ego is big and you stroke it. You sip in the liquid courage. Keep driving, but watch when you're swerving. You're the truth, you're the one, you're the illness. You're the one who got my girl catching feelings. Nah, nah, really, you be on some chill shit. You just pull up, then you hop out and you kill it. It's notable, by the way, that the real world scenarios here have necessitated the Hobbs and Shaw film insofar as these two have great chemistry but the rock and vin diesel had a feud on this film which meant that they didn't really film that many scenes together apparently vin diesel was late to set a lot and he'd been late to set a lot for many many previous movies and this was the film where the rock was just like you know what I'm done with this. And he got really sick of we Vin Diesel how professional effectively being Marilyn Monroe. And he gets up at like four in the morning or something crazy like that, rock time. And he's super motivated. So as far as he's concerned, if Vin Diesel's not... Uh, it, it, this, you know, From people who are super motivated and on point, someone who is late all the time is being unutterably selfish. So he started a feud with Diesel, which means... They don't really have scenes together, and my God, can you feel it? And I, I felt that the first time when I saw the film. I thought, there's something missing from this. Then I went home, found out about this, and it was like, of course, that makes so much sense. And then when I saw it the second time, I was like, oh, this movie 
is really actually kind of uncomfortable to watch because of the amount of like there's a body double over there in the background doubling for Vin mm. while the rock's here in the foreground and then vice versa and you just feel like this petty little petulant fight between these two hulking bruiser men and also do you find because for me now that you've said that mm. that is made worse by the fact that you know that the reason they thought they could get away with that whole body double stuff uh-huh. was because they'd done it before. But the reason that they'd done it before <laughs> was because Paul Walker died. Like, that was for a really serious good reason. This is because you two can't sort your shit yeah. out. But it's Which not... Is... Oh, carry on, Neil. No, I was going to say it was really funny because The Rock comes from the wrestling business. Mm. And here's a really funny thing about the wrestling business. Mm. And we've probably talked about it before. Is If two people hate each other, they will still work together because you yeah. know why? They know they will make a lot of money. Absolutely. But when it comes to acting, though, it seems to be a very different case. Yeah. I was saying to Sharon earlier, like, you know, uh, Vin Diesel and The Rock, we're going to do another film together where we hate each other in this film? No, man, I'm going to go off and do a film where I hate Jason Statham. I like him. And it just, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. this weird kind of, well, hang on, can't you just use that hatred? Well, it's not just that. It got very complicated. I know we're, we're going off the film here, but it also got very complicated by Tyrese Gibson as I well. Was, I was going to say that was the next one there. He, uh, the Rock and Tyrese had been friends for a while, but then it became this conflict between him and Tyrese, and Tyrese was getting that angry, and it just it seemed like there were sort of loyalties being split back and forth. So The Rock's not happy with Tyrese. The Rock is quite public about his uh, feuds and kind of, you know, hinting that that, uh, conflict is happening. The Rock's not happy with Vin Diesel. Michelle Rodriguez isn't happy with not enough uh, women getting prominent roles that actually have agency in the film series. And uh, so it actually makes perfect sense for Hobbs and Shaw to happen because it's like, well, let's just take the only two bits of this that actually work. Let's go make a film with them. Yeah, because it's like you can't really do the family thing mm. if everyone, everyone hates, hates each other. Yeah. This is what happens when you force that. Yeah, and I think that is... Uh, before we talk about something is missing from this film, and it's not Brian, it's not Paul. Mm. I, I hate to say that. It's he a is, little He's Paul. missed, mm. but there's more to it. And it's... I think I finally put my finger on it. It's the heart. Yeah. The heart isn't there. Well, And like, it's clearly not there. If you remember, Sharon and I got really into this through five and six because we uh, started to really engage. And, and it was like, you know, this, they're, they're kind of building on the whole family thing. And the, the end of six, when they have that barbecue again and it's evoking the original uh, movie, and they've got a sense of heritage and a sense of togetherness on that. To the point where when we did seven... Even though we hadn't really invested over the years the way that a lot of Fast and Furious fans had, we got really engaged and Sharon ended up crying her eyes out. And so, like, me and you, got the room got pretty dusty on that episode. We we made a lot of people cry with that episode. Yeah. It's the most tearful... It's quite funny. It's the most tearful episode we've ever done, and it was on Fast 7. Absolutely. But the, it makes sense that, that it would get that level of melancholy. But Ooh. they did a good thing with that movie, and they managed to pull that out of what could have been a disastrous hodgepodge of a film. And to then go from that to this, where in real life it's just bickering and arguing and not being able to patch it up, and it's like, that's what families do, mm. but then they patch it up and move on, right? And, yeah. and actually, for the, for the sake of the family. But instead, you know, especially if you're from a family where, no, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes it really is just animosity, and I'm not talking to this motherfucker ever again. Don't put me in a room with him. And if you've experienced that, that when you're watching it on film, you're like, oh, this is horrible. 
Yeah. You can, you can. I think if you have that kind of relationship, or you you've been there, you can see it on screen. You can feel the the, the discontent in there, and it doesn't just come through in the way that the actors act towards each other. It's in the way the characters are as well. Look mm. at um, Roman and Tej in this film. Yeah, they are terribly sidelined. Those guys are meant to be the comic relief and. Mm. It's not there for them either. Yeah, uh, Roman, by the way, doesn't doesn't have anything left in him in this film apart from just being a punching bag for punchlines. Like, yeah. He is just there to be made fun of. But I, I think I might have picked up on part of the reason for that, and that if you if you look at how he works in two, and I actually think that to a degree he's really funny in two, mm-hmm. but he's he's an excellent foil. Roman is, as a character is an excellent foil for Brian. And he and Paul Walker worked really well together. And it almost feels like, in Brian's absence, they have no idea what to do with Roman. Yeah. He's sort of, they try to make him the foil for Tesh. Mm. Yeah. But him and Tesh don't have that same kind of chemistry. Exactly. They don't have a bad chemistry. They do actually genuinely have a good one. I would, if they did a spin-off with Tesh and Roman, I would watch that because I think that would be fun, but not on the basis of how they are in this film because no, this it's, it's not, just not there. Yeah, and in part, honestly, I just <laughs> without in any way wanting to um, speak ill of the dead, because it's not really ill, but it's just the fact that him and Paul Walker are both able to play dumb quite mm. well. And that that works. <laughs> they they get to be like these blunt instruments butting up against yeah, each other. They're silly. They're capable of being mm. silly together. The Duke brothers. Yeah, the, yeah, that's but in a less racist way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are the, well, that's what the ending of two is. It's them yeah. being the Dukes of Hazard, and it works. Mm. Mm. Yeah. In retrospect, it works a lot better than a lot of things in this. We we ranked these films, Sharon and I, and we were surprised at how. Uh, in line all of our findings were Mm. and this one ended up for me at the bottom not because it's the worst film i think just because of what it's built upon it's such like it's it's like if you built a castle and then you built an extra new tower and then the tower just fell down yeah and it's like well didn't you learn anything in the building of the rest of it yeah but we made this one too top heavy it's like something's missing in the mortar yeah yeah also they crowbarred in scott eastwood Hmm. Do you know Randomly. what? Until you said that just now, I'd completely forgotten he was in it. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> Scott. nobody. Yeah. Oh, dear. Um, which, is sh- which is a shame, because you know what? He's not that bad. He's not he's just he's that bad. Not, he's not that good either, though. What did we no. see him in recently? Pacific Rim Uprising. Yeah, he wasn't bad in that. I, he was actually okay in Pacific Rim, Rim Uprising. And the award that's, for that's, not that bad actor of the year <laughs> goes to, to Scott, Scott Eastwood. Eastwood. <laughs> to be fair, though, that's because he somehow managed to get a really good chemistry with John Boyega, who I love in that film. I, I know Pacific Rim Uprising is nowhere near as good as the first one, and it never could be. Mm. But that film gives me such a man crush on John Boyega, though. <laughs> I, I was already there, Mister. I'm already there from the Star Warses, but uh, yeah, I, I, Scott Eastwood. I've got little else to say aside from the fact that it felt like they were like, like we're one white guy down. This guy'll do, and yeah, we need young white guy. We can't just go. We can't stick Kurt Russell in there. He's too expensive. Yeah. Oh, I suppose so. Actually, if you stick him in a, a moving car going at ridiculous speeds, suddenly you got to insure Kurt Russell. I, I don't know. They managed it for death proof, but uh, in this scenario, I guess not. But so, so yeah, I mean, that, that, that side of things is that he's a, he's a white guy in a sea of globally appealing diversity. They're still pushing that level of cast. But then again, we also have Jason Statham stepping up to the plate. So do we really need this guy? 
Did you, who would you rather have? Scott Eastwood? Nope. Jason Statham? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's no contest. It's no, no contest. contest. Speaking of which, can we just have a film about Helen Mirren and her crime sons? Please, please, please. <laughs> and don't forget the daughter that's coming. I just put that in brackets. And her daughter, who is played by Vanessa Kirby, who was the White Widow in Mission Impossible Fallout. Already a fantastic screen presence, and we'll talk about why when we cover Hobbs and Shaw. So, yeah, I would yeah. totally love uh, to have her uh, in this Helen Mirren and her crime sons uh, movie where it's just Shaw and Shaw and Shaw and Shaw. Mm-hmm. You know what I really love about Helen Mirren? She plays it like a proper East London yeah. mum. She does. Right, OK, I'm going to say this. And, <laughs> Neil, see if you get exactly what I mean. This was totally Peggy and Phil, wasn't it? Yes. Yes, it was. Who's Peggy <laughs> and Phil? It's Peggy and Phil Mitchell from EastEnders. And she's got I, the platinum hair and everything. And he's got the shaved head and everything. What's and, EastEnders? Well, you know. that's <laughs> what kind of made me laugh. Because I'm sat there thinking, they put this in here and there's not a single American who's going to get this. Yes. I'm, I'm asking those questions <laughs> on behalf of the Americans I, 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 and from elsewhere. And it's clear Jason Statham was in on it from that conversation in the ambulance. Yeah. Mm. I, well, that's I the want thing. you to take your brother. Oh, mom. I, I feel like that was hatched by Mirren and Statham together, regardless of the writers yeah. and F. Gary Gray. They were just like, let's do some EastEnders, shall we, love? Absolutely, yeah. So what, what would we equate EastEnders to? It's not Days of Our Lives, is it, quite? It is a bit. Yeah. Like, it's the, it's the British Days it's of Our cool. Lives, but it's, it's sort of Cockney Days of Our Lives. Yeah. Oh, Albert Square. It's, it's that. Days of I'm Our Lives if it was vaguely gangsterish. Is it gangsterish? Uh, I suppose not. Yeah. <laughs> it's just British people who live near a pub. <laughs> Yeah, they think true. they're gangsterish. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. No, you know what? I, at first I thought, Helen Mirren's a bit of stunt casting. Then you watch her in the film and go, no, no, I want that. I want more of that. Please tell me she's in the the, the next movie too because I, I need more Helen Mirren because hmm. she was awesome in Red so, and she's just awesome in this. Yeah, feels like they could uh, make room for that. He gave us this little thing here. No, 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 don't touch. You can track Cypher with this, but you can't do this on your own. There's got to be two of you. Five. I've got contacts. Now you're going to take your brother. Uh. Toretto knows where he is. He's got this thing. It can see everything. It's like it's called the Devil's Bumhole or something. Called the God's Eye. Yeah, well, whatever. There's no way I'm using nine, all right? It's a lost cause. He's your brother, Dex. He's my son. He's our family. And our family don't die. Bloody cages. How can you talk like that about? I mean, I can't believe you. You've gone and upset me. You've really upset your mother. Call yourself a brother. Oh, come here, Mum. Okay, okay. Every time. And as everyone who's seen Hobbs and Shaw will know, Queenie here is back. Let's get on to the, uh, uh, the, the thorniest issue. We've, we've already voiced quite a bit of it all, already, and we kind of focused on Letty. But um, the positioning of the character of Elena, first seen in film four and featuring pretty prominently in films five and six, specifically while Michelle Rodriguez's Letty was absent from proceedings. In this film, she is encased in glass with a surprise baby conceived during that period and being used as leverage by the villain Cypher to get Dominic to do her bidding. Sharon, can you hone in on why this felt problematic? Oh, 
I don't know how honed in I can make it at this point. It might just, just don't be... shout yet. Okay, I won't, work up to it. I won't shout, but um, some kind of voiceless groan <laughs> might. Uh, Headphone users, you have might been come into it. <laughs> I I think right. Part of what frustrated me about this so much is that a I really liked Elena's character. I like the arc that she gets. I like the dignified way that they bow her out of the story. I would have preferred it if she'd stayed, personally. I think that the, there was more meat to be had there. That's a terrible way of putting it, and I apologise. But I, I do think there was, there is more that they could have done with that relationship and with the nature of blended families if Elena had stuck around. But okay, they made the decision that they did and she sort of has that conversation with Dom, which short though it is, gives her this sort of ability to concede that Letty is back and he's still in love with Letty and she understands and she's going to walk away. Which is a very mature response. It is. And, and the whole point of it is that she has important stuff that she's got to be getting on with. And that's great. And there, there is a degree of empowerment in that. And I love the character. And her performance was great. And then here, they bring her back. And they give her this baby. Having had this conversation between Dom and Letty about, you know, well, why haven't we decided that we're going to have kids? And, and, and is this something that we want to do? And I, it, taking this approach... It diminishes Letty, it renders Eleanor irrelevant, and the most egregious for me is the fact that because of the way Elena is so thoughtlessly done away with, they get to the end and it's like, hey, Dom has this instant baby. Now Letty and Dom can stop having to have that awkward conversation about whether or not they're going to have kids because Jesus. they've got one. Yay, let's move on. It's like discussing getting what? a puppy and then just going and, and buying it. And then the dog just turns up. I, yeah. And I just, there's... there's and Only the woman has to give birth to the puppy and it takes nine. Even that, well, you. yeah. Now it's a Cronenberg film. But, but even that, almost would have been okay because Elena got to have this moment of being kind of, I accept that this is the way things are and that's fine, I've got my stuff to do. You could have had a scene where Letty has to come to terms with the fact that Dom now has this child and effectively she's going to have to raise this child. Yeah, it's frankly, never addressed. She needed just a, a moment alone with the kid. Yeah. So she's like looking at the child like with, to begin with, with a bit of suspicion. Like, so like you're now in my life for good. Yeah, and even just a, a moment where we see this expression come over her face of, of I'm not, I wasn't sure about this. I don't know if I can really be a mum just yet. I haven't mm. had time to get used to the idea, but you are part of Dom and therefore I love you. Yeah, and like if that can be established over the course of one short dramatic scene. Again, just we don't get something, this but That conversation meat. doesn't happen and it's not worth losing this great character that you brought in purely to get Dom. I mean, he is entirely motivated in this by the fact that Elena has been kidnapped this is the very definition of fridging yeah and it is so unnecessary and it just, it just it's lazy 
Yeah. It's lazy and it wastes people and characters that you had done so much with before. And it made me very, very cross. Understandably. It made me very, very cross too. Because you fucking fridged Elena. You, what the fuck were you thinking? That is just unflipping forgivable. Absolutely. You spent time creating this character who is, again, strong, independent, smart and clever. She is capable on her own. And she, it's been shown, she, you know, she was a cop in a crop, in the slums, you know. She in is Rio, not, like in a Rio. really fucking rough war zone place to live. Mm-hmm. She is not a delicate wallflower. And all of a sudden she's reduced to being in a glass box. And when that happened, that really fucking pissed me off. Because it's like, I almost wish we never saw any of the Dom stuff. Mm. And just let it play out as a mystery. You know, why has Dom done this? What has caused Dom to turn against? What could cause Dom to turn against his family? Mm. But that was just... And the fact that throughout that whole thing, whenever you see her in the the cage, she's always just sitting there looking sad, saying, please save my son. Do you know what? If they just had something near the beginning where Cypher has her there and she's really like teeth bared get the fuck away from us Mm. you leave us alone let us out of here what the hell is going on and then have her threaten marcos and have that be the thing that makes her fall back and and sort of realize that there's nothing she can do in this situation or he's going to be hurt it's still horrible Mm. But at least you then see why this character has changed so much. Because that sitting quietly and just, oh, please don't hurt him. Please, somebody save my boy. That is not Elena. Yeah. No, it's not. And that really rankles me because she, like Sharon said, she should be there threatening to kill every last motherfucker on that plane like Don does. Yeah. Because it's her son. Don't piss off a mum. Whatever you do. Mm-hmm. You even play that into the film when Dom meets Mrs. Shaw. Yeah, you're you're right about um, <laughs> different, Mrs. Shaw. You're right about. Uh, Ethel would have been better with us this, this not either. seeing that because it's ridiculous drama. It's bad drama that we don't want to see, mm. and it actually would power the movie more if you were just seeing it from the family's point of view. And Dom disappears, and then when he comes back, he's doing all this stuff for Cipher, and you're like, "There's got to be something. There's got to be something." And you're with them, and then it, when it comes back, it's not that they are they have Elena in a fridge but it's that they've got letty targeted they've got brian and mia targeted they've got elena targeted and then the big revelation at the end is that elena had this baby mm-hmm. and effectively dom just had to do all of these things but his priority throughout this is to ensure that nobody gets hurt yeah. and that there's this pain on his face the whole time it feels like that they had to make this much more of like give vin diesel more dramatic scenes to do but it would have been way better Without that. Mm. Well, again, you, you're absolutely right, actually. Having a setup where she points out, we've, we've already established that this woman has tendrils everywhere, mm. that she can do anything she wants. If you establish when you do these flashbacks to show what's been set up and how they've been controlling him, that she's had gunmen here and this person waiting to shut off mm. whatever hospital or something going on that has all of these different people who are important to Dominic yeah. held over a pit, then that makes so much more sense than than what they do, which is we know we keep going on about how important family is and, and significantly the wider family that we keep adding to. But when it comes down to it, the only people who are really important to him is this woman who bore his son and his son. 
but more specifically, his son. Yeah, and everybody else, oh bugger them, they, they're not really that important when it comes down to his own flesh and blood that he produced. Well, first off, doing all of these dramatic scenes also puts a lot of weight on Charlize Theron to hold the whole film aloft with her, the way her character reasons. And I'm going to disagree with Neil on one key thing, and this is just my opinion. Disclaimer, all opinions stated on the show are just opinions. Other opinions are available from your local YouTube. Cypher is a shitty character. She does her best with this delivery, and she kind of whispers everything and talks about choice and talks about the philosophical stance of, you know, can we do this to protect our family? Can anyone really have Which family? Which you all know is bollocks. Yeah. She's a psychopath. She is literally a psychopath. Yeah, she's like, I, I get what you mean. I, I do. I, I, I would uh, be really upset too and you're like well no you don't care about anyone or anything as is manifestly clear you have an empty fucking life I have a question are her motives ever really established like what's she trying to get she just wants things I think she wants, she wants her own whatever submarine whatever she wants I think she literally says it's once the, once the government's the world now I have these nukes I can get whatever I want right so okay so well, that's make boring. her a remote villain have her somebody who is removed and at a distance and can do all of this damage with the touch of a button people go on about Marvel villains being bad by and large across the Fast and Furious films apart from Deckard Shaw all of these villains are terrible <laughs> yeah but so but, far the villains are not the point I mean, I love Charlize Theron, so seeing her play a psychopath, I'm fine with. But yeah, in the context of this film, she's a piss-poor Bond villain. Yeah. It does feel very Bondy. Like It, it feels like one of the more morose Daniel Craigs. Like, a bad Skyfall, uh, an even worse Spectre. Candy paint with the white on top Lambo doors or the woo-up drop If you busy plotting on what I got Kicking your door or swat you thought Hundred thousand dollars on the tabletop Have price my whip, same price my watch Got no jumper, but I ball a lot Bitch on your stony, I do what I want Candy paint with the white on top Lambo doors or the woo-up drop If you busy plotting on what I got Kicking your door and swat you thought Hundred thousand dollars on the tabletop Have price my whip, same price my watch Got no jumper, but I ball a lot on the other end of it, uh, Neil, you said you liked a lot of aspects about this in some of your favourite scenes. It's not that bad as a film overall to watch. It passes the time. It works as a, a hangover film. And it couldn't be that that bad. Otherwise, it wouldn't have made $1.2 billion. I think that is because it's still riding on the wave of five six and especially seven do you think it's definitely i think it's still riding that good wave of from seven mm. where they probably should have left it yeah well I, there's no probably about it i don't care how good hobbs and shaw is leaving it at the end of seven and then maybe coming back to it in 20 years time with a bunch of young you know street kids who all you know from various ethnicities all learning how to ride fast cars and then you get some of the like veterans of the Fast and Furious turn up to teach them. That's way better than just carrying on until this thing is underground. I think this is where Vin sees it as his retirement plan, Latin Triple X. So uh, so what what was good about this film that you particularly liked that uh, sticks in the mind? 
No, there's two sequences that stick in my mind. First off is the use of the um, the hacking of the cars in New York. I actually really like that, mm-hmm. seeing that played out. feels... I kind of see why it's in a Fast and Furious movie, but feels slightly out of place, where they basically hack into all the... I don't want to say sort of, uh, all the, the systems of the cars, and, and they, they, where they trapped the Russian ambassador or defense minister or whatever it was by just having all the cars fall out of the the car park and, and all the scenes leading up to that. I really enjoyed it. I thought that was a unique take on, on technology and cars. It was an, an interesting way of showing that. Sorry, I used that word. Um, it was a visually interesting way of showing it, where there you had go. almost these... We we had almost these packs of cars hunting down and then mm. raining from the sky. Visually, I thought it was fantastic to watch. I, I, it's not something I'd seen before, and it was an, a different way of using uh, New York. In a you know, instead of having a car chase around New York, you you are having this car chase, but with for the most part unmanned vehicles. Not all of them, because it does take the time to actually show you people trapped in the cars. Mm. So, I do wonder what the body count was on that one in the end. But it's not something I'd seen done before in a film, so that one stuck in my mind. And one of my favourite action scenes goes to Jason Statham, because I've got to say, the fighting with the baby on the plane I really like. Yeah, that reminded me of uh, John Woo and... Hard-boiled. Yeah, hard-boiled. Uh, Is that the one where he has, has the baby? Yes, that's the one in the, the hospital. Yeah, that that must be intentional then, because uh, yeah, St- like, Statham was very game for it, and it's a, a visually dynamic scene. It's got a lot of humour, which, especially since the film, rest of the film seems so drab, is you need and you want. And it's cute, which is not something that a villainous character like uh, Deckard yeah, Shaw usually does. The, the weird thing about Deckard Shaw in this film, where he is... Very caring. He is very careful and caring about that baby. Mm. Even to the point where he brings along headphones with the chipmunks on so it doesn't upset the baby while he's shooting the bad guys. Yeah. Again, that reminds me of uh, uh, the Somewhere Over the Rainbow scene in Face Off by John Woo. <laughs> so, uh, I, mean, I, I, I get that F. Gary Gray is, uh, um, you know, went out of his way to do this. But what was clearly pre-visualized action sequence that feels oddly disjointed from the rest of the movie? Like, that was a transporter scene <laughs> it was it that it, seriously can we just change his sodding name and make him the guy from the transporter yeah frank martin like a big reveal at the end oh i also go by another name you'd buy it hey in this world you'd buy it we've jumped we've jumped from building to building with cars we'd buy just a name change My we'd go with it because one thumb <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair actually when helen mirren turned up I was like wait are they going to change his name to turkish nice or bacon. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like they put a lot of uh, uh, stock and effort into uh, getting the... Oh, the other uh, really um, um, pretty amazing sequence is the jail breakout uh, with yes. uh, him and The Rock. They get to play off each other. And this all now, in retrospect, feels just like a pilot for Hobbs and Shaw. It really does. I was literally watching this guy after, you know, because we know the film's going to be out and seeing the trailers and everything. You're looking at it going, this is... a they are really backdooring mm. the, hey, do you want to see this? Do you want to see this? But it's uh, all of these sequences uh, uh, have a, a humour to them and uh, an energy and uh, are extremely well-coordinated. You've got a lot of people running around in the uh, um, uh, prison scene and that could just have been either chaotic or uh, have seemed the other direction too stagey where you've got prisoners running around the background going nah, 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 and like rubber bullets being fired all over the place but once again the rock is made out of steel and uh, uh but they, they play off their different fighting styles against each other and uh there's a lot of uh, really meaty maneuvers and and those bits of the film made me feel like you know what the 
this film isn't all that bad. And then every scene with The Rock and Cypher on the plane, I was like, no, it is that bad. <laughs> Dom, yeah, it, it, Dom is a vacuum in this. He's a, he's a black hole. Yeah. And uh, all of the, um, the enforced, dark, miserable, you know, I will take this stuff away from you. It, it doesn't connect to the heart the way that the better aspects of the previous three movies, at least, managed and honed in on. It doesn't have that sense of imperative, which, again, if, 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 if all of them have been threatened, it, it feels like Cypher's empire of threatening assassinations and crime is quite small relative to how many people the the crew of Fast and Furious are actually connected to. Mm. So it feels like if she had been threatening with people that we never really actually saw and that she's connected to a lot of people that it, it would make it feel like more of a thing that Vin Diesel couldn't just punch or shoot. Because effectively, she threatens him and says, like, a bunch of armed men are going to come in here and they're going to try and kill that baby. Yeah, I don't think you can do that. Too. <laughs> I don't think you can deal with all of them, can you? And then Jason Statham proceeds to do literally that. Mm, yeah. I, I think... Which kind of make, ma- makes it seem like Jason Statham's character is over 9,000 and Vin Diesel's character definitely isn't. He's not. Yeah. I'm really good at did, driving. Did, 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 did they get the characters confused, I'm wondering, because uh, did they just cross out? Xander Cage and put Dom Toretta. Ah. Mm. I think what's really telling for me is when you said what were the standout bits about this film that you did actually like and enjoy, and I couldn't think of a single one that was character related. Mm. It was all action, visual yeah. sequences, and and when I say that, I mean I'm talking a handful of visual sequences. The ice dancing with the cars. Yeah. Um, when it actually gets it, effectively the bit where Roman's skidding all over the place in the Lamborghini because it's inappropriate mm. for the environment. I like that because it's funny. And when, it's engaging because it's it's something that's unusual. Most of and the, when Hobbs redirects that torpedo by hand. Yeah, that's things good. like that. But the for the most part, when they're on the big car chase scenes, I completely clocked out. I didn't care what was going on. And because they were starting to fuck around with a lot of uh, like big explosions in the ice, I started to wonder how much of this is practical. And it's probably a lot more than we think, mm. but because so much of the stuff would be like, well, that would actually genuinely endanger the actors to the point where they probably wouldn't do it. It, it began to feel a little too over the top, a little too uh, manufactured and, and artificial, which is a damn shame because, like, some, like chucking the cars out of the plane in the seventh one, that is astonishing. Like, and the bus thing, and the, with uh, Paul Walker jumping off over the uh, you know, when it's hanging over the cliff, some of the most amazing stunts mm. happened in that with an amazing stunt woman we happen to be on friendly terms with. <laughs> and I, I will say this: I'm pretty sure anything involving the submarine was CG because I don't think that their budget would have covered an actual submarine. So it's like maybe scale it back before you hit that point. Mm. Just do what you can do with cars and practical. Just... And if you have a film that's got no real character engagement, it doesn't matter what you do, whether it's CG or practical, people are not going to care. I think it's especially because of the previous films, I know we get more and more over the top as they go, but the core and the heart of the film was always being grounded. Mm. Clearly, people cared enough to pay $1.2 billion, same as a lot of people came to see all those Transformer films. I think, though, the test is going to be who turns out for Hobbs, Hobbs and Shaw. Hobbs and Shaw, much like Bumblebee. Yeah. 
Which is a shame because Bumblebee's the best of those damn Transformers films. Yeah, but people did not turn out because they'd been let down so badly by the previous ones. And they don't like spin-offs, by and large. They like the Oh, well, in that case, obviously, you're screwed, really, isn't it? (laughs) I don't know. You've got The Rock and Jason Safe. I think you might be okay on that. And if they've got Helen Mirren in there, they haven't said, but if she's (laughs) in there... Everyone's flocking to come to the new Helen Mirren film. But uh, but like people will hopefully remember those scenes with the Rock and Statham mm. fondly and go well we'd want to see more than that yeah. and the, the, they're the bits that stand out that don't annoy me mm. yeah it uh, there are bits and bobs here and there I love the Blanter line from uh, um, Roman and Tyrese Gibson's really fucking funny when you let him work. So I, I would genuinely have appreciated letting Roman do a bit more stuff. That's probably why he was getting so upset. I think he threatened to walk at one point. Mm. It's like, oh, how are you going to do frankly. Fast and Furious without Tyrese? Uh. And Michelle Rodriguez going, how are you going to do it without Letty? And uh, they're like, well, we'll just do Hobbs and Shaw. Which, side note, by the way, people are saying Hobbs and Shaw is coming out this year. And then Fast and Furious 9 is coming out in 2020. It's like, whoa, 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 backpedal a little. That's Fast and Furious Ten. Well, Hobbs and Shaw is a spin-off. What the fuck do you call Tokyo Drift? They're all spin-offs of the original first film. Like th- th- there is no like one, two, three, four. They don't even have numbering that makes any kind of oh, sense. We-, we joked about the timeline in previous episodes. Yep, three isn't even number three. And if three is not three, and three comes after six, then six is in fact five. So um, I, I went back and I looked and I thought, like, rather than calling these one, two, three, etc., like they have done in a very confusing fashion, and alliteration and slapdash wordplay, like Fast Five and uh, f- Eight of the Furious, uh, Jesus Christ. So I, I just figured colon and then uh, like a code name. We begin with the Fast and the Furious, colon, point break, but with cars. Uh, and then the Fast and the Furious colon Miami Heat, which oh, by the way, Vice? No, 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 Miami Heat because it's the uh, I think that was the uh, name for Step Up Four, the uh, um, one of the Step Ups. But we're going to go with Miami Heat because it's not Miami Vice; it's the it's the Dukes of Hazard in Miami. Okay. Uh, then Fast and the Furious Three Tokyo Drift, Fast and the Furious Reunion. Just calling it Fast and Furious, especially looking back after all these years, like, are you fucking kidding me? Fast Furious? That didn't occur to you. But yeah, Fast and the Furious Reunion. Then Fast and the Furious Rio Heist. Then Fast and the Furious The London Job. Kind of like the Italian job. Eh? Very then good. We'll go for the Japanese names. Was it, is it like called Max Power or something like that? Or Max yes. Speed in Japan? Yeah. yeah, it was Max Power, I think. Okay, so Fast and the Furious 7 is Sky Mission. Oh, yes, because I think that's what they called it, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, they yes, it that Japan. works. So, uh, Fast and the Furious 8, Ice Capades. <laughs> no. And Fast and the Furious 9, which is what it is, Hobbs and Shaw. Ice Capades. Seriously? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can call it Fast and the Furious on Ice if you want. <laughs> How long before they go to In Space? Honestly, I think one year. You know How do you drive cars in space? We figured it out. You know what? I don't think you're that wrong either. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's going to happen. Ooh, ooh, they did it with ooh. Call of Duty, so... I, I thought of a little bit that did make me sit up and go, ooh, when Luke Evans turned up. Yeah. 
Hey, he's here. That's oh, it. It was just, just, oh, yeah, he's in it. You'd forgotten that I'd Luke forgotten Evans was there. he was in it. And now I can't remember what happened to him on the plane because it was like, hey, me and my brother are going to take this plane. And then he steps to one side and lets Jason Statham work. So, there you go. <laughs> it's like, I may be your on-screen brother, but I can't do all this shit. And also they only paid me 20 quid to come in for the day. It's very nice of them, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I also noticed that in this film in particular that red is the only awesome eye-catching colour that they ever use. Uh, there's a, like If you watch it the next time, just watch out for red, like the sixth sense. Dom's Impala, the uh, car in the uh, beginning in Cuba. The sexy touchline girl is covered all in red. Cypher's truck when uh, he turns up. And, and Cypher herself. And well, She's got like red sunglasses on. She's she? wearing a red shirt. Yeah. Uh, Hobbs's Red Dragons football team. Mm-hmm. Those little girls. Oh, sorry, soccer team. The, the, the little girls doing the haka, which I thought was awesome. Uh, and again, I, I could have watched a whole film about Hobbs and his daughter. And like that, that, that. That's a spin off. Hobbs does uh, Pee Wee soccer. Honestly, like, we're, we're, we're saying all this, and some of it probably wouldn't make that fantastic films, but they all seem to have more potential than just make the same family do something again. Um,. Then Deckard's toolkit when they're in the uh, the like car toy box. What's it called? The carpool, the place where it's the toy box or yeah. something, isn't it? Um, but his toolkit's all uh, bright red. Letty Stingray when they're in uh, New York City, and uh, her jacket uh, in, during the ice um, section, and her dress after that, the uh, picnic at the end, uh, which also has a lot of Budweiser. And Ramsey's lipstick is very red. Now it could be that obviously. This that the HDR in my TV was just picking up these red values and blasting them in my face. But I kind of like all the other colors apart from Roman's Lamborghini and the prison jumpsuits being orange, which is obviously kind of similar to red. Mm-hmm. Very that I can't remember a single green popping, and there were a couple of blues here and there, but it was mostly like just grayish, whitish, goldish but a lot of like bright reds on the things you're supposed to be looking at. So assuming this isn't a mistake, why might it actually be intentional that they're like, hey, there's a red thing? I have a theory. Yeah. I don't know how accurate this is likely to be. But Might it be bunnies? <laughs> <laughs> it could be bunnies. Um, I suspect that this is a bit of use of... Uh, something called involuntary attention. Okay. Okay. So... Effectively, the the human brain, and some people's are better at this than others, but the human brain is designed that when you're walking along in a relatively monotone, green, natural environment, mm-hmm. if you see something which is a colour that stands out from the background, it will catch your attention mm-hmm. because it could be food, <coughs> it could be a threat, it could it's likely to be something that is at least differentiated from the trees and grass and whatever rock or whatever else it is that you are surrounded by. So we are actually keyed in to look up and pay attention when we see something that is bright colour that pops out from the background particularly red because it could be blood it could be ripe fruit it could be something that is going to be either valuable in a positive way or valuable in a negative way so you're saying that we've got threaded through our dna a thing that makes us go red exactly and if your voluntary attention which is the kind of attention that you generally use when you're watching a film which is you're looking at this because you want to not because it's grabbing your brain um is knackered because (laughs) it's been focused on this monotonous there's nothing else really here to hold my focus Mm. 
by throwing flashes of red in every now and again, basically that's going to make people's brains sit up and pay attention. And if that is what they did, if they consciously chose to do that, then I'm sorry, that goes in the bin with Michael Bay using adrenaline rushes to Mm. keep people excited and think that they're enjoying his movies when they're not. I don't think it was as cynical as what you're describing there, but I feel like there was a a deliberate kind of... Let's make sure that the the reds in these in this film are not like muted reds. They are cherry red. They are fire engine red. They are apple red. Just something aside from Letty's jacket, which is a little more of a sort of a dark maroonish red. Uh, but they they all really. <clears throat> it could just be because again, like this is what Bob said regarding um, uh, Godzilla. They want these films to look really good in China, mm. and they like bright broad daylight uh, um, action sequences with bright colours. And if you throw in some red, then they'll go, hey, this feels colourful to us. So I suppose it's a global thing that, you know, if you... But also, we're describing the colour scheme of Mirror's Edge, where Mm. it's all just like a white city and there's like red and you pay attention to the red thing. Mm. Yeah, but that's that's the point. That's the mechanic that they used in Mm. Mirror's Edge was so that the game could feel like it flowed so that you could get into the rhythm of yeah. it and not really have to think about what you were doing because your attention would automatically be drawn to the red. It would allow your focus to move around as you passed through the screen, yeah. if that makes sense. Mm. Okay, so that's a little theoretical side of things, and we, we could be right, we could be wrong. I, I don't think it was an accident that the reds were really bright. I don't think that they put so much thought in that they were thinking we've got to appeal to the animal brain here. <laughs> it bugs me so much when people use psychological tools for evil. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't just as much evil as greed. <laughs> Let me ask you something, Dom. What's the best thing in your life? Family. No, it's not. Not if you're being honest. It's the ten seconds between start and finish when you're not thinking about anything. No family. No obligations, just you. Being free. I gotta tell you, this whole saving the world Robin Hood nonsense you've been doing recently, it's not you. Be who you are. Why live only a quarter mile at a time when you can live your whole life that way? One thing that uh, uh, happened in the film that I think got the most reaction out of us was when um, uh, Cypher said, what's the most important thing to you? And I muttered in a kind of a... Like, obviously, he's going to say, family. And he did immediately mutter afterwards, family. And I hadn't remembered that that's literally all he says and I was like you're just a parody of yourself now Jesus Christ we have hit the point where it's turning itself into its own trope yeah and that's that's a real problem because that you can only get it to really hit if it feels authentic if it feels inauthentic absolutely it loses that it's the sincerity that that's what everybody is aching for right now is the sincerity and this feels like it's cynical. Forced mm. is the word. Hollow. It had a forced, happy ending, and they're like, right, everything's fine, happy. moving on. If you live for something. I'm not uh, sure how happy it can be under the circumstances, but. Yeah. 
And mm. uh, and as you said, Sharon, the whole the idea of of uh, this is founded upon unusual families where you know one a mother and father take care of a child who isn't the child of both of them. That is the story of so many families out there. That's why this should resonate, and that would have been even cooler if Elena had still been alive. Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, that might be why that got to me so much, actually. This is a weird little personal anecdote here, which you can feel free to excise if you don't think it's relevant. But my great-grandfather basically was a bit of a player from the sounds of things and managed to knock up two women at the same time. He married one of them legally but didn't live with her and the child. Mm -hmm. He lived in a house round the corner with the other woman and the baby she then had and a further 12 kids, not all of whom lived, but they had a massive family. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure to what degree the women knew about each other, but the kids never knew that they had this sister living round the corner. She knew, however, that they were all her half-siblings. And they only found out years later because she ended up working with one of them, brought him into her office and said, you don't know me, but I'm your half-sister. I grew up around the corner from you and I always longed to come and play with your family because Mm. I knew you were my brothers and sisters, but I couldn't. I was told not to say anything. And I just, it felt like if they'd managed to get it somehow so that they were living in houses next door to each other and then Letty and Dom do have a kid and their kids get to grow up together and, you know, Mia and Brian down the block. Mm. and that That's what he wants. That's what Dom has always seemed to be working towards, this network of family that all support each other and are all in for each other. And it's not about who has to go away so that somebody else can have yeah. their space. And removing and Elena feels like a convenience because we want a kid, <coughs> because we want a kid, but for some reason Michelle Rodriguez's character doesn't want to lose her figure. And you know what? That explanation of them all living on the same street, you'd buy into that in this franchise. You totally the would. You totally would. Yeah. 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 Uh, like, uh, un- unconventional new families, that's the right way to go. And it... it that is a progressive way to move this series forwards, to move media forwards, for this to be not only accepted but something that could be celebrated. And because it, it would change it. Just, just it's not just family. Your family is your community as well. So, oh, Sharon, that was a great idea, and I'm annoyed they didn't go yeah. with it. So Which annoyed uh, me even more. Again, like removing Elena is something that a soap opera would do. A bad soap opera, not a good one. So that's uh, there's also they haven't taken a leaf out of Marvel's book. Marvel, by and large, keep as many characters alive as they possibly can. They only kill people if they really, really run out their contract. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what I was going to say. The soap opera is it. They want to leave. We've got to write them out really quick. They fall down an elevator (laughs) shaft. Back to this. this, this, this is just hit me. This has really fucking annoyed me now. They kill Elena. Yeah. They let Cypher fucking live and get away. That's true. She gets away on a parachute to come back as another villain. They have more affection for villains in this series, Owen and Deckard Shaw, than they do for heroes. Whoa. She better not be a good guy next time, man. Yeah. She better not. Well, she can't be. She has no sense of feeling anything. No, she's a psychopath. You could have said the same about Deckard Shaw for all we saw of him in Seven. Another 
person that could fill that role. Roman Reigns? No, I was going to say who's who's making it big in Hollywood. And oh, is... John Cena. Yes. Or Dave Batista. He's also creeping up in the wings. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have Dave Batista, but both of them would be great in in this series. Uh, but again, like pare it down. It doesn't like it doesn't have to have all these characters on screen at once. You can have little cameos throughout the film, and it will be delightful. But if you try to keep all these balls juggling at the same time, eventually you're going to shortchange one of them, or two of them, or ten of them. I'm with the gang, 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 and we about to go up. Twisting lanes, it's a thing every time we show up. You a lame, 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 and you so below us. Bet your hoes you know us, cause you know we glowed up. We stay down, and came up, and came up. We stay down, and came up, the gang up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a villain that's winning. Precision, I'm killing, represent the religion Ended up independent, took my car to the clinic Let them check all the vitals, middle finger, the rival Michael Jackson, my idol, still ducking the pie holes Talk to the plug every day, it's up Cinco de Mayo I still got me a Carlo Man, the tone is so off and I'm, the characters are off. The to- you're absolutely right about tone. I mentioned this earlier, but there, there, there are scenes when, like, you know, I'm going, to ki- I'm going to kill your baby. And then it cuts to Tyrese Gibson making jokes. And you're like, oh, just like, I, I get that in the edit, you were like going, OK, we've got to bring these parts of the script together. But when the script was being written, surely when you moved from one scene to the next, there were moments where Chris Morgan was like, Maybe we should make this feel like roughly the same tone from scene to scene with a little like more gentle ups and downs rather than violent leaps into serious darkness and then joviality. It's yeah, it's, it's totally it has a problem. It's masculinity. I think it starts to have a problem with in this film. It gets I don't want to use the word toxic, but it ain't good when you start looking at it that way either, because mm. like. They present Dom as the unstoppable force. The team is screwed, and who says them right at the last minute? Dom. That is a very fine point. I wasn't even um, uh, going to come at it from that angle, but you're absolutely right. The the only person who could save them from Dom is Dom. And that feels like Vin Diesel maybe had a bit too much power in the uh, script, and, and rather than it being like Letty going, no, I am taking you out of the equation, and then him eventually going, you know, you did the right thing, Letty, thank you. It's a case of, well, thank you for coming back to us, Dom. I always knew you could. And it's like, also, when Dom comes back, there's a big explosion and they all race in to protect him with their cars, Mm. including little nobody who has no connection whatsoever to Dom whatsoever. I just wanted to be popular. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I just wanted to be part of something. But there's another weird, actually, speaking of tunnels, there's another thing that springs to mind. Um, All throughout this film, you've got Trej and Roman who are constantly going on at Ram- about Ramsey and wanting mm-hmm. to get Ramsey, wanting to be with Ramsey, yeah. to the point where she calls them out on the bullshit at the end of the film, when she goes, what's my last name? And it's like, why is that in there? You've just made two, your two comic characters look like complete and other assholes. It does make them seem like creeps, but I, I suppose it's a, it's a good way of... Like, it, to, to a degree, it puts the power back in her hands and have her go, you know what? I don't actually need to be with either of you, so... Okay. Mm. You guys you guys can stay together though if you like. That's fine. I uh, that that actually feels better than if they had gifted her to one of them. 
yes, like a, a lot better true. in that regard. But at the same time, still, uh, she doesn't get much to do in this. She gets, she gets, <clears throat> she gets naff all to do. Yeah, I uh, probably it, used my quota of four words, but yeah, she gets. She is. I can't even say she's the pretty eye candy in there because you barely see her at all. I think one of the issues that they is that they've accumulated so many characters over the course of eight movies now that their core team is huge and don't all necessarily need to be there. It's possible that a better version of this film could have had now we go to these characters here and you're like, oh, yeah, this is delightful. We find we get to see like you know how the, the brothers from uh, Fast and Furious Four turn up. Yeah, the, um, and like the, that little oh, that was cool. They were there. More of that probably would have gotten less big paychecks for the core team, but more of that would have kept it moving. So like when Luke Evans turns up and that was like, oh, I remember him. That was cool. That, just more of that. So when Tedge turns up, you can be happy rather than just, we are literally putting Tedge and Roman together because you found them amusing in five and six and seven. So we're doing that again. Mm. And here is Ramsey and she's been around since the last one and she's pretty much doing the same in that. It actually feels like there's more characters than there actually are, possibly just because I'm like, I feel like I'm including Brian and Mia there as well. Yeah, I, and that they're not there. Yeah. And it also seems like Jordana Brewster was like watching eight going, I could really have been in that Any one. Any minute now, the phone's going to ring. But uh, no, I guess I'm happily married to Brian. Because, <sighs> yeah, because you know what it is? They don't want to say what happened to Brian. Yet we'll go so far as to name the baby Brian. Now, that's not going to get too confusing in a family setting. <laughs> Yeah. Also, it feels like too much of an enforced happy ending. Like that, people like those barbecue endings. We're going to have another one of them, and it's like, honestly, after what's happened in this one, they could be forgiven for a bit more of a "I'm not sure about you" ending, especially with the uh, with the feud between the Rock and Vin Diesel. Use that, rewrite mm. it, have a, an uneasy ending, and 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 it's like, well, we've still got us together, but it feels maybe like our. There's a fracture. Yeah, there's a bit of a, a damage here which maybe needs healing at some later date. And acknowledge that. It would have felt more authentic. Yeah, Dom, actually, when you think about it, gets away scot-free from this. No one's mad at him. And yeah. they should be. They, you would be in this situation. Yes, you you went with Cypher because they threatened your baby. Yes, we can understand that. But I'm still going to be pissed off at all the shit you pulled on us. Yeah. You didn't tell us. You didn't try and warn us. You did concoct a plan. You never let us know. Hmm. You got the guy who tried to kill us last time to save your ass. Yeah. You didn't trust us. You didn't trust any of us. That should, in theory, create a rift. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, effectively, we've got this to compare with Captain America Civil War, my current reigning favorite film, which does a not dissimilar type story supremely well with a lot of characters, with more than this all of whom have to weigh in on the actual scenario they're engaged in. And th this cannot compare. And that's a, a damn shame. And they, they, it feels like they fumbled this. Financially speaking, they knocked it out of the park. But it may have hurt the series ongoing to some degree. Th we'll see. Yeah, I, I'm wondering if this is the sort of, like Turning I said, point? because there's such a wave of high from five, six and seven hmm. pushed into eight, but eight squandered it, or, or or dropped the ball in this case. Are we going to see the drop off on the next one? You don't see, you don't pay for the mistake of the last film till the next film. Yeah, everybody Eventually. loved the Bourne Ultimatum, but it's never really hit that high point again with uh, the Bourne Legacy and Jason Bourne films. And sometimes 
as much as we don't want to admit it, sometimes a franchise runs its course. Yeah. Which and is why, like I've said, like going away for a long time and then coming back later is is a better idea than just keep going Pirates of the Caribbean style belligerently until everyone's tired of you. And I'm sure given another year they'll try and bring it back. Mm. Pirates like this. Would it not make more sense? Like, because you've got this whole team. Do something new with many elements of this team. You've got the, you know, these great producers able to make get these uh, films together pull together a new franchise like the if you're coming at it from fast and the furious money and you can say from the producers of fast and the furious i, mean, I think they probably tried that with talk didn't they <laughs> yes they did yeah. it didn't work but talk was fully terrible yeah but i mean <laughs> if you say. can bring something that's flavored like that but has a freshness to it and so that it feels like it could kind of fit into the Fast and Furious world. I mean, like, I know it sounds mental and they don't have the license, but could these guys just do Mask? Well, that's what F. Gary Gray is going to be doing next. So. Oh, seriously? <gasps> no, that's really what is. That's what IMDb says is his next project is, is Mask. Um, is Mask. This sounds risky. F. Gary Gray is capable of knocking it out of the park with things like Set It Off, The Negotiator, Straight Out of Compton smaller drama thrillers. But you hand him a massive blockbuster like this, Men in Black International, and then tie his hands. The studio tied his hands on MIB and forced changes to the script to make it not about immigration, not about anything in particular. F. Gary Gray seems to be getting a reputation for the guy you get in to make a big film and then hamstring your director. What you could do is, why don't you shift focus? You have an ensemble cast. Yeah. Shift focus to another guy. Shift focus over to Tej and Roman. Have them get caught up and in the end need to call in the other guys. Or just, you know, let the characters grow. Hmm. It would be again, nice to, it, to not all... Like, for whenever he's not in the room, everyone needs to be saying, where's, where's Dom? Dom? And after this film, I don't care where Dom is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's... I that's... don't. That's obviously what they're trying to do with Hobbs and Shaw, but part of the issue there is that Dwayne Johnson has now become their Batman. They're terrified to do anything without leaning on him. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. He can draw a crowd and they can build the rest of the film around him. Right. Which of these people can we rely on to not threaten to leave before <laughs> the film is made? Well, that would be Dwayne, wouldn't it? Yeah. And then it's just a case of making sure Dwayne's happy. Dwayne, do you like this? Nah. Get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, from everything I've heard, that isn't his style. Yeah, no, it, it's not. it doesn't. Like, he seems like uh, his regards, he, his words on the whole, you know, family's fight was, but they also move on from those fights and they get better from them. And then many years later, he says, yeah, it seems like there's still some animosity there. Like, we haven't patched this shit up. It's been years now. And like, when you see The Rock being as fucking charming as he is, movie after movie, you're like, how could you fight with that? And from everything I've heard in real life, he is genuinely that nice. Yeah, He's driven, don't get me wrong, and some that can wind people up the wrong way, but he is a genuinely nice person. And as you say, the career that's he, that he's had, the people he's had to work with over the years... I don't doubt that that man could probably resolve pretty much anything, at least on a temporary basis. Mm. Look, all he has to do is sing you welcome and I'll forgive him for anything. (laughs) (laughs) 
What can I say? Maybe that was the problem. Maybe he kept singing that at Vin Diesel on set. Every time uh, Vin tried to say anything, you're welcome. So we uh, turned the Fast and Furious into these superstar blockbusters. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Do you reckon no one wants to talk to him sometimes just because in case he says that? Yeah. Because you know he's going to say say it and he's going to give you that smile, that charming smile. And you're just going to look and go, I can't be mad at you. Well, let's go away and have a break and think about this. Uh, For you listeners at home, it'll just be a few seconds while we play some music. For us, it'll be a few weeks while we wait for Hobbs and Shaw to turn up. And then we'll be back to talk about that afterwards. Why can't we be friends? (laughs) friends? (laughs) Let's stick that on here. (laughs) Just want to take a moment to thank our $15 patrons... They get sponsorship credit every week. Thank you to Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savant, Michael Hasco, Connor Kennedy, Brian Novak, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Dan Hepner, John Clayson, Tyler Long, Adam Kilmartin, Joe Gasiga, Greg Downing, Tim Rosinski, Christopher Wolfe, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Luksh, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dachler, and Lorraine Chisholm. And if you're on our Patreon feed at the $5 level and higher, you can get access to 30 additional minutes of Fast and the Furious chat that was culled from the upcoming section on Hobbs and Shaw, mainly because it's wildly speculative about where they might go in future, so it's probably going to date, but we might be right about a few things. Here's a clip. Your core cast, this family that was built up in 5 and 6 are dropping like flies, either because they've been killed off in the series, in one case, they've actually died in real life, and for seemingly almost everyone else, they're rage-quitting because no one gets on anymore. So they keep killing the fast, and the furious are too angry to make movies. Apparently they're left with Dominic, Tej, Ramsey, Mr. Nobody, Little Nobody, maybe Sean from Tokyo Drift turns up dragging Big Bow Wow, maybe the unexpected return of Leon. But that's about Ooh. it. <laughs> hey, you all forgot about me. I'm also here thinking the way you just worded that, that sounds a little rough. Yeah. That cast there. It's, it's... Ooh. Why can't we be friends? 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 I've seen ya, I've seen ya, I've seen ya around for a long, long time. I really, I really, I really remember when you drank my Ah, Smash Mouth. And welcome back to the ninth Fast and Furious film, not to be confused with the up-and-coming Fast and Furious 9. This one only stars Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham as a result of the already lamented hissy fits of Furious 8 that we talked about last time. But there's a whole new family for us to briefly invest in, too, in fact. And yet more pointed narrative centering around mending old wounds to heal familial rifts and make amends as this franchise increasingly scatters its stars to the wind. 
And I had a hell of a fun time watching this film. It was crisp and punchy and energetic, and I appreciated the endeavor to pull off a somewhat different focus, albeit still unmistakably the same series of tick boxes for crowd-pleasing that the past eight of these movies have managed to varying degrees of tickage. The series seems to be in transition at the moment, and has been since 2015, looking for a comfortable, dependable equilibrium. Like if you look at the series as a whole right now, it's there were there were four messy films where they weren't quite sure what they were doing. Like the first one is very much a product of two thousand and one. The second one is is kind of like, well, we can still do this, right? And again, very much a product of the early two thousands. Then there was Tokyo Drift going. Do we need the same stars? And then the fourth one was like, yeah, let's have the same stars, but it was still morose. We went back and watched four, five, six, seven and then bits of eight again in the past week. And I was thinking maybe four will be better now after eight. Like four is serious about what it's doing, but it's so dark and miserable. Like it I starts off really good, but then it gets so miserable. But four and eight are the two I don't think I'll ever go back and watch yeah. often. It's uh, They're not very rewarding to watch, and they're in fact quite aggravating. But uh, then... Five, six, and seven, especially now in retrospect to the most recent two, those three work really well as a trilogy. Just mm-hmm. those three together. Mm-hmm. And they are genuinely, authentically mm. engaging and good and well-written and well-constructed, even if they have slightly patchy action scenes from time yeah. to time. And with that emotional punch at the end of seven, it's this is praise indeed coming from me, but it's a little Return of the King in terms of like you finish out that trilogy and it hurts and then you set it down. And then you kind of hope that eight doesn't ever happen and you don't ever have to go back to it. Sharon said she's striking eight from canon. I, I have to. <laughs> I I just, after seeing those bits of it again, I just, it's it's pointless. It's worse than pointless because it undoes so much good. I, I have a horrible fear now after seeing Hobbs and Shaw that um, the spin-offs will contain whatever it was that was missing from eight. And they will be the ones that people like. And I think the egos have taken over the main franchise. Mm. We mm. can't tell for certain until nine, yeah. ten, whatever. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll need several years' perspective on this and, yeah. and for a lot of these fights to have ironed themselves out. Yeah. The, the main franchise needed to finish with Paul It's Walker's such death. an ending. It Se- if you look at Seven, like uh, the Toretto like, soars off the end of his shotgun and says, one last ride. And uh, it, it's like, right, so this is really the end yeah. of this series. And then they were like, oh, and no, they money. A billion dollars each time. But Cheers, but we're going to carry on. The fact, it, it's made, eight is made the more appalling because they have now demonstrated that in the absence of all of their stars, they will make spin-offs. So why the fuck did you need eight? You could have just gone straight to the spin-offs. Because Vin Diesel wanted some of that sweet, sweet do-re-mi. But then... I'm assuming so did Michelle Rodriguez and... A good deal of the evidence suggested that he really didn't want to be there. So what the hell was all that about? Mm. Okay, so Hobbs and Shaw... Because, like, we're now in this weird no-man's land right now, it felt like another fork in the road. So at the end of Seven, Toretto drives off to the right and O'Connor drives off to the left. And then this is Hobbs driving off to the right again further and then off off with his new bro, um, Shaw. And especially if you go back and watch Seven, the... <laughs> Shaw's a monster! <laughs> He sets a bomb for a fucking baby. And then one film later in Film 8, he says, 
You shot at a baby, you sick bastard. You tried to blow up a whole family. Yeah, they, they literally call him a monster. He is responsible for a really significant death within the group. We'll talk a little bit more later about why that feels really uneasy still. We need to get off the grid. We've created new identities. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is My Coxmo. I go by Michael. Created PG-13. Hands on your head, Coxmo. So, yeah, I suppose on to Hobson's, sure, because like, like I said, we're in a transitional period here. This will, uh, will probably make decent bank, but not as... Uh, the thing that it seems to be lacking... Actually, you know, honestly, from, from, from the very beginning, Fast and the Furious has had a big appeal to the Hispanic audience. You know, there, there's a big car culture pull there, and there's been a lot of music and uh, uh, sort of like cultural touchstone points, not to mention quite a bit of Latino and Latina casting especially in the background they people the world of the fast and furious and that isn't chump change that's a lot of their global box office and hobbs and shaw you've got the rock who's while he has a lot of latin appeal it's not the same thing and you've got a very british guy and his very british family this was and is a massive action franchise that especially spanish-speaking america felt a sense of identity with which, by the way, suggests we need to be looking for more Hispanic leads rather than casting about for which white guy we can get in. And plus the whole Toretto family, which is very much a modern spin on traditional Catholic family values, which again brings in loads of cash and you're kind of losing that when half the focus here is on a bunch of pasty British people, albeit incredibly entertaining ones. There's not a great deal in there to alienate the Chinese market either. True, true. That being said, The Rock's lineage is quite remarkable. His father, Rocky Johnson, is a black Nova Scotian of Irish descent, and his mother is Samoan. Rocky Johnson is descended from black loyalists who emigrated to Canada after escaping from a southern plantation. So there is a lot of fearsome, proud, diverse American just inside Dwayne Johnson. All that being said, it's made no difference to the advertising of this movie, which is soaked in Hispanic culture in terms of music and editing. Cops, so. Queréis guerra? La tendréis. A la de tres. ¿Quieres decirme a qué nos enfrentamos? Miradme. A prueba de balas. Sobrehumano. Soy el Superman negro. ¡Me voy a dar una vuelta! Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Show, 1 de agosto en cines. To Hobbs and Shaw itself, it is a slick bromance uh, with direction uh, from David Leich, reminiscent of John Wick, Atomic Blonde, and Deadpool 2. Because you really liked it, Neil, tell us why, just what was really appealing to you about this one. I've got to say it's the chemistry of your three main leads was very engaging. You know, Jason Statham uh, and The Rock have a very fantastic and fun chemistry. And once you mix in um, Vanessa Kirby in there, it uh, I'll tell you what, I my favorite fight scene in that is when uh, Hobbs runs into her uh, in, in the back alley. Oh, I yeah, love yeah. that fight scene. That was fantastic and hilariously funny, especially when you can I deal with batteries at work so when she throws the rubber battery at him and it wobbles when he catches i did really laugh but it was <laughs> it was a fight scene that also got the 
got a lot of points about the characters across as well, which I just genuinely enjoyed that. And they've got a chemistry that happily bounces off each other, which mm. when you've got that kind of chemistry, that's what you enjoy. You enjoy seeing the bounce of, of the characters, boing, you know, constantly going back and forth off each other. It, so, yeah, I just I really engage. It, and that suckers you in and engages you with the characters. And once you're engaged with the characters, you engage with the story. You want to know what happens. Hence why you uh, get suckered in. I, I said to you before we started recording, this had a this is like a modern and like tango and cash to me, which is high praise because I love that film. So that's why I got here. I, I kind of got something along those lines. And again, it plays with it plays with their differences. You have sort of Hobbs being that workaday, very basic and brunt and brutal character, and sort of Shaw being the refined. I don't want to say gentleman because that's not quite right because we know he's a bit of an not you know well technically he's a monster but not anymore <laughs> technically he's a monster but not anymore they could have put that on the poster <laughs> it's true though isn't it? like, you watch seven he's a monster he is like yeah. the scariest villain they've had he is literally the scariest villain they've had and now he's likable and he has a mum don't show the audience the mum of the monster it doesn't work or or it does but it confuses the whole thing okay it only works if the mum is Grendel's mum in Beowulf. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, fair point. Fair point. <laughs> I you, can see to that one. We've seen The Rock play this character in multiple films already. Uh, he, he, it's not, he's not always Luke Hobbs, but he often plays a Hobbs-style character. He's actually gotten less and less intense. Like, if you go back to five now, after watching Hobbs and Shaw, that Hobbs is really driven and really angry and intense, and he is just like, stay the fuck out of my way. He is really not having it. And he's mellowed throughout the series. This as is has welcome. Sh- sure. I was going to say, this is Welcome to the Jungle yeah. rock, isn't it? But honestly, and Jason Statham has also played very similar characters to Shaw. So it almost feels like if this had been The Rock and The Transporter, then you can have a character who isn't a monster. Mm-hmm. And he could be the twin brother of the one who is a monster. Yes, that works. <laughs> uh, let's face it, another Shaw sibling, that's fine. We can buy that because now there's three of them. <laughs> Yeah, the two of us look exactly the same. We're twins. He's my Welsh brother from another marriage. (laughs) Our Welsh brother. Of course, we're twins. My name's Frank. See, that's why it's like, I still, to this day, do not understand. Just pay the rights and have him be Frank from the transporter. It would have made more sense. But no, you had to make him a villain. Well, that, that way, like, Frank could have gone through a bad patch and seemed like a monster, but then you go back to the transporter and go, well, he was a decent guy to begin with. And that's, they've got to make up for a lot of old ground with this and say that, Shaw, in the past, Deckard was less of a bad egg. Hmm. <laughs> well, that's, what, that's literally what they try and do with this. They yeah. say he was controversial and he was framed for a lot of it by, oh... Dodgy Shadow Corporation, whose name's fallen out of my head. It was that memorable. framed for uh, sending a FedEx bomb to a baby's house? No, he wasn't framed for that. (laughs) Actually, (laughs) that one was me, sorry. (laughs) Did you crash into a a street racer's car and then either drop a bomb on it or let it blow up? I think he did let it blow up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you sent me another article. You've been sending me all kinds of articles, Sorry, uh, which um, made me sad. I mean, no, no, don't apologise. I'd prefer to have the skinny on this. About, and this kind of bonds together this film and the previous ones, about the fevered egos of um, not just uh, Vin Diesel, but um, Johnson and surprisingly Statham as well. They, 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 like, specifically... 
Vin Diesel, I think Diesel comes off the worst because he had to have his sister count the moves in the fights he takes part in and keep score so that Dominic can never be beaten ever by uh, by default. Like he can never lose by points. Yeah, one of my favourite go-to websites is Slash Film. For, yeah. for, very reliable, but when I saw this, I had to read, read a bit. It's like, oh, God. And it's it feel, it's like, you know, if this was not all about 80s action heroes, you'd buy it in a yeah. second, wouldn't you? Yeah. And uh, it seems that mentality hasn't gone away. And uh, it said that uh, at one point in Fast and Furious 8, during an action sequence, The Rock was supposed to be lying at Vin, uh, Vin Diesel's feet, and he insisted he be at least sitting at Vin Diesel's feet. And I'm thinking, that action sequence didn't make it into the final movie did it no yeah uh, again with jason statham who's 53 in this and and the rock is 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 like coming on for like 48 years old these are old, middle-aged men and they are amazing to watch fight like there is no question that they look fantastic they don't need to be so terrified that they'll come off as weak in any way if they lose by default or look bad compared with someone else they statham was known to swing by the edit suite just to make sure that his fight scenes made him look the best he could possibly look which is understandable but it's a measure of clutching for control the the egos here like we talked about last time, they are they're hurting the overall brand of this series. They seem for me, to be. It, it seems to be bringing in a mentality that we don't like to see in WWE. Yeah, it's 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 again we're back to that toxic toxic masculinity. It's it's that darker side. I cannot look weak. I must be strong. Bear in mind, Statham has been in two films with Jet Li, who. Yes, all right. Stating the knack circles around him because English isn't Jet Li's first language. Hmm. But when it comes to a fight scene, can't hold a flipping candle. Yeah, no. But uh, if you the way that Statham moves in this and in eight, he's he's moving like a man in his twenties. You, you remember in Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage, Donnie Yen seems to have gone back in time to his younger self. He's mm-hmm. he's he's amazingly fast and and uh, uh, spry. And and honestly Statham, sorry, 51 not 53 has nothing to worry about in terms of that. But with a lot of close-ups in this film, this is the first time I've ever looked at the rock and thought you're getting a little old, Dwayne. He's got a little grey. Little, little you, you, you salt and pepper the, in the beard. And you can see the grey quite clearly. That is more than fine. I've been watching, noticing grey hairs appear in, in the mirror uh, in my, at my temples. And I'm like, yes, get the old Doctor Strange, a bit of Reed Richards action going on here. I am fine with getting some grey hairs and salt and pepper in my beard. Embracing your advancing years, if you accept that, can actually be really you know, quite beautiful for both men and women. Um, it's when you rail against that and go, no, 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 I've got a full head of black hair. And you'll say, just picking a name out of a hat, Tom Cruise. <sighs> um, saw the uh, trailer for, to- uh, for Top Gun colon Maverick the other day, and it, it drew ire from both Sharon and I. I mean, and we know that everyone else loves this guy no matter what and just adores watching him risk his life in Mission Impossible. But we've been expecting a follow-up to Top Gun to have a silver-haired, mustachioed Tom Cruise getting really angry at a young pilot who's effectively, he's passing the torch on to, preferably a female young pilot. And it's not about his ego. But instead, he's driving along on that motorbike going, I've still got it. I'm still the same Maverick. 
I, I, like, maybe the final film will actually be something a bit more um, than that, but it's been 33 years, Tom. Honestly, I, I, I watched the trailer for Top Gun and I was like, I don't even particularly like the first one. I watched it and I was bored within 10 seconds going, yeah. nah, thanks. We're going to get all kinds of hot takes in the run-up to Top Gun, colon, Maverick, that say, you know what, Top Gun, not actually all that good a film, especially now. And uh, I, I honestly don't need to necessarily kick it while it's going to be down uh, repeatedly, but... The... Go watch Iron Eagle. It was better. Oh, really? <laughs> but, but that's the thing. Like, this is the, the phase when The Rock is going to start... Well, the Dwayne, the Johnson, is going to start looking at himself... never say the, the Johnson. The, uh, looking at himself in the mirror and going, oh, you're getting old, Dwayne. Uh, but then, like, he's got two different <laughs> ways he can go on this. And ultimately, having someone, like, insisting on never be... Uh, on, on never losing a fight. And I don't know if you noticed... Hobson Shaw haven't actually had a fight with each other since that office fight in Seven. No, not straight up. Not an actual in- fight. They, they, they've had, like, competitive point scoring. Mm, <laughs> that's yeah. not the same thing. Let's see how many prison guards we can both take out. And I wonder whether that's, like, neither of us can lose this one. Yes, it's... <laughs> go back to wrestling terms. It's no one can go over. Everyone has to look strong. We just watched um, They Live. Uh, I think when John Carpenter finally dies, that's going to be the film I point people towards as his like underappreciated, way ahead of its time classic. And that features about a 58-minute fight sequence where <laughs> yes, it does. Rowdy Roddy Piper and Keith David basically just punch each other in the dick for the duration. It's insane how long that thing goes on for. But... In the end, Keith David effectively finally gives up and gets the uh, uh, the special sunglasses put on him and goes, oh, you were right. I probably should have put these on a while ago. My dick would have hurt less. But, uh, <laughs> but that never made Keith David any less of an amazing screen presence. There are ways to, to, to have fights, lose, and still be a badass. And I, th- I compared this to, to Logan, where Hugh Jackman is laid low repeatedly, loses over and over again, and is weakened and bleeding and screaming and dying. He doesn't look great. And at the same time, it's the performance of Hugh Jackman's career, and it is a phenomenal film. The key word in the idiom, growing old gracefully, is grace. Grace is something that is sorely lacking in our world. The current representative of the American people has no grace in his frame. There are many definitions of grace, but I think what I'm trying to hone in on here is a sense of dignity. There's no dignity in always needing, having to be the toughest, the fastest, the strongest, the most unbeatable. That, by the way could and should have been several of the arcs in this nine film series and I know that at the very least Dwayne Johnson has that within him he's proved his strength of character time and time again if you study up on that guy he's a good decent man I hope that this is exaggerated about him in particular and if it is true I hope he grows out of it There's got to be more than just, I've got to always be the toughest. And this has been something that's been, that's affected Fast and Furious since day one with like Dominic Tourette. We said this last time we talked about eight. Dom needs to lose. Dom needs to think, maybe I'm not as strong as I used to be. Maybe I'm not as great at car racing as I used to be. 
to quote to a completely different film, he needs the I'm getting too old for this shit. Yeah, exactly. And buddy movies are, by the way, the place for that. Yeah. And it's not even like, I was, I was watching this, and I was like, I suppose Rock's going to have to concede that this younger model is slightly tougher and faster than him. Fucking Jason Statham's four years older than him. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, they, they, they also pushed a little bit too hard on the discord and competition for me with the whole, like, constantly jibing at each other. Although that was great fun. It, it started to grate just a little bit, and actually would have traded some of it for just talking to each other. Yeah, they do drag that out a little bit too long, although I will say I, I, I don't want to lose the airplane bitching, but it probably didn't need it. Because mm. by that point, it's like, no, you guys should be going, all right, I don't like you, you don't like me, but we're going to get this guy. <laughs> That's where they got out of the airport in, like, disguises, and then they're on the airplanes, disguised as the three most wanted people in the world, and no one on the rest of the airplane bats an eyelid, including the air marshal who talks to them. Indeed, who seems to know perfectly well who they are, or at least picks up on, on what it is they're doing. But the, I think part of the difficulty is that when you're going for a more comedic tone, the bitter rivalry that you've had in some of the earlier films Mm. is by necessity replaced with a vaguely amusing dick-swinging competition. Yeah. What they needed was less dick-swinging and more Legolas Gimli. Yeah, I suppose so. Although that, again, grated over over time. It, yeah, but that you can only stretch out for so long, because, and especially if neither of them is allowed to win. And, ultimately, in the end, like we've all got to admit that the reason Fast and the Furious actually warms our hearts is when they like clap hands together and go, I'll do it for you, brother. And actually, they care about each other. That, that thing with The Rock says at the end, you know, you may have technology, but we've got heart. It's like... I'd really love to see more of the heart because it feels like you've just been like sniping at each other like bitchy schoolgirls. Yeah, yeah, it does. It needs to calm down a bit. It's a bit too much like real family and a little bit not enough like the idealised family family we've been uh, rooting for for this long. Especially when you're trying to, you have to cope with the fact that our two heroes also have dysfunctional family relationships. Mm. Oh. I'm sorry to bring trouble here, but I need my brothers. Mama, where's all our guns? I can't read of them. That's good old school. But all right. We're family. We never give up. You crazy. Hit him with the moonshine! Rated PG-13. And uh, there's also Cliff Curtis playing Jonah, who had a really great dramatic role there albeit one that they boil down to a very brief emotional obstacle that is overcome with the power of mums. I think this is juxtaposed against a certain other member of uh, uh, Hobbes' extended family, uh, who I have written down here as the muscular lamp. You mean his his actual cousin? Yeah, the guy who literally could have been replaced with a lamp and the whole film would have been exactly the same. Roman Reigns, ladies and gentlemen. This this guy's a big deal if you're into wrestling. So this is like his screen debut. And he didn't do anything. And I'm wondering if it's because The Rock was like, yeah, you could be in it, but you can't do nothing. You get no lines. (laughs) You get no lines, but you can look hard. The thing is, his his actual screen time Mm -hmm. is so 
tiny. Like he appears in the background of three scenes and he has one excruciatingly brief fight. Mm. And that makes me think that they filmed scenes with him and they were so bad oh. they couldn't put them in. Oh, unfilmable? The, I, I, come on. He's... The, that's actually modus operandi for WWE studios and mm. stuff where they had been putting people into... To films but more as like uh, henchmen and, and background characters more than main stars and right. wouldn't surprise me it's just a shame because um roman reigns the man is actually a very nice guy yeah. he's just come back from beating leukemia so his yeah. his appearance in the trailer had me really excited me i was too. like I, I can't i i'm really keen to see I him was... get some kind of performance like i was expecting a scene where like because obviously cliff jonah really is angry at uh, Hobbs. Mm. And uh, I expected him, the nephew, to turn up and go, so I heard a lot about you. All bad, I expect. Mm, some bad. And then just like a little bit of like you know, him wanting to know who his uncle is. Mm. That's something. Yeah. And, uh, and and then you know, him being, you know what? I, I, I'm sorry I kept, kept away so long. And then just like clapping his nephew on the shoulder, I'll be here more from now on if we get through this thing. Just a little bit of that. Because it happened to be around the same time that Vanessa Kirby's doing qu- quite a bit of like soul searching and thinking. And I'm probably going to die tomorrow. So that she has a great scene with uh, Hobbs and a great scene with um, Frank and... It, oh, sorry, Frank. Deckard. <laughs> Deckard. The mind plays tricks. Um, so you know, it would have been the right place for that, but maybe that just wasn't on the cards. Yeah. But and Cliff Curtis is great, and he yeah. is a Always. wildly underused actor. He was fantastic in Sunshine. Indeed. Yeah. And more of him is always good. Okay, so one of your favourites, Brixton, uh, Idris Elba as the villain this time around. Oh, he's so much better in this than he was in Star Trek. Oh, I forgot he was in Star villain. Trek. Yes, because he's a totally forgettable villain in Star Trek. At least he's not forgettable here, and I enjoyed him. Well, they play Heidi Hyde with him. Like, it's like, oh, he's not Idris Elba. He's definitely not Idris Elba. Oh, he totally is Idris Elba. Idris Elba. At the very, very end, and he's got an obscure um, reason for doing what he's doing. But, yeah, no, he has some gusto to this. Like, he seems to be kind of having fun, which is rare for Idris Elba, who always seems to be like, oh, I could be on stage right now. He's not scenery-chewing. I was going to say, he's kind of scenery-chewing. He's at least nibbling on it. <laughs> he's definitely nibbling on it on the torture scene, where I think he's having his most fun. Yeah. When he's got them to... He's got Jason Statham and The Rock strapped to a chair and a battery. Mm. But, I mean, this is a series, as we mentioned before, which has a real villain problem. It makes Marvel look like they've got their shit together, which they frankly have now in more recent years. But, uh, uh, yeah, Brixton's... In terms of... I mean, he's got a Thanos-flavoured modus operandi in terms of improving the human race by killing some of them, much like the villain in uh, Mission Impossible Fallout as well. I haven't seen Fallout, so that's that's on the list as well. But um, It's quite good. It's got Vanessa Kirby in it for a little bit. <laughs> I, I'm also interested in seeing the moustache. Oh, yeah. Oh, Sharon said earlier today that basically the makers of Mission Impossible <laughs> went and drew moustaches on DC's Superman. That, that's effectively what they did for Justice League. I, I like the fact he calls himself Black Superman because you feel it. He, it just, I had a weird cognizant disconnect because this is meant to be in the Fast and Furious world. Yeah. Which I admit, we all have admitted that as the series has gone on has got more and more... Comic booky, yeah, comic booky, and, and and further and further from uh, just the street racing of the original. Mm. But there was a lot of times in the action sequence with with Idris Elba where it was like I was getting that disconnect of this is just 
too over the top where you know had the we he was he calls himself black superman mm. he's the black freaking terminator because he has that weird bike that seems to respond to his thoughts yeah and does weird tricks and stuff and it was li- it was just little bits like that where i was going oh this is actually shockingly pushed it too far over the line for me which is something i never thought i'd say yeah I, I, you're okay you're right about that in terms of how it affected the stunts. There were some really great meaty physical stunts in this that were clearly done practically. The scene where they daisy chain all of the cars together is off the chain. That feels like a lot of that was practical and they were going for Fury Road came out in the same year as Fast and Furious 7. So from that point onwards, it was you want to do car stunts in movies? Good luck bettering these two. And with the daisy chain sequence, it seemed like they were trying to do that. But whenever they started doing stuff that just people can't do, like what Brixton does with his flexible motorbike to go between two trucks just as they're going in, it's like slow-mo and that's definitely CG. That kicked me out of the film. Mm, I, I know, it just gave me that weird disconnect. So maybe it was just, maybe like I say, it was so clearly CG, maybe it was mm. that. Mm. It wasn't bad, it was just sort of, oh, okay, so this is a cartoon. And then back yeah. to, like, I hope this is real. But when you start seeing stuff that you know isn't real, it starts making you question the stuff that you assumed was real. Mm. The scene in the Ukraine where it's Statham and Vanessa in the in the car and it, they, it flips and you can see her falling out the car and mm. it's like... You're on your seat for that, but then it cuts to weird motorbikey bit, and it's like, oh, mm. that looked better than that. I think for me, it was the the things that were happening, and particularly stuff like his his spinal implant, mm. and and where you actually get to see them tinkering with that. Mm. It what what threw me out a little bit was this feeling that this was a script for a completely unconnected action movie that someone was shopping around like a and die they hard. went yeah exactly and they, and they went we could shop. make this a fast and furious mm. okay in in its own right if you if you kind of take it on its own merits it's absolutely fine it's it's you know pretty good but it didn't seem to mesh with the mm. overall universe for me. On a more sombering note, and I've only just thought of this, is not something I prepared. David Like directed Deadpool 2, which actually featured the death of a uh, female uh, stunt cyclist. Her name was Joe Harris. Uh, ultimately, I, I'd prefer CG that kicks me out of a scene over anything which endangers an actor. Mm. But under those circumstances, there's a, a sense of having to double up and then do better than each installment stunts. And it's yeah, really so tough. Can you top to, this? Yeah, how, how the hell do you top the jumping out the the cars out of the plane in seven? That's that's madness. That sequence. And I think that's literally the peak. I don't think they can. Frankly, the attitude of I can't be seen to lose a fight contributes to that, mm. and it's not fair. Yeah, and ultimately, like showing frailty more, making it a bit more meat and potatoes, making it a bit more just like good old fashioned car stunts preferably with incredibly meticulous safety regulations mm. to not put stunt people at, at risk. Uh, I think you you could dial back a little bit on the, the crazy on, on this series to stop it. Because like, otherwise, if you keep elaborating, down that road lies complete disconnection from reality. Mm. Yeah. And you also... they're, they're human. They're meant to be human. Hmm. Well, now we've got cyborgs, so... Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think you you sort of run into the latter Pierce Brosnan Bond problem of it's just set piece, set piece, set piece. How can we just do a fantastic set piece and everything else is second thoughts? Mm. Interestingly, all of those uh, ice capades in the last one, number eight, made me think of the uh, race yeah. in Die Another Day when they were oh. driving around on the ice that everybody hated. Yeah. It seems like really posh cars and ice flows don't go well together. People just go, nah. Well, they're watching. <laughs> or maybe Although, not, because it made a billion bucks. Hattie is... It's a tough cookie, really. Your sister took something from me. And I want it back. We first meet Hattie when she is with her MI6 team and she's in the middle of a mission to intercept this world-ending virus. Who the hell are you? Bad guy. The mission has been compromised. We need help. Hobbs and Shaw just can't get on. You want to tell me just what we're dealing with here? It's my sister. Family business. When it's the fate of the world, it becomes my business. You're in serious trouble. That's an understatement. She became one of the team because you needed someone to get the mission accomplished. The movies are really fun. I think all three of us probably liked her best of, of the elements of this film. Uh, although, from the sounds of it, Neil, you feel like she was shortchanged or not in it enough. Vanessa Kirby as Hattie. Yes. Uh, I loved her. Okay. She's a welcome, welcome addition. I, she sta- There's a fight scene between her and The Rock, which I, is, I absolutely love, and is my favourite one in that entire film. The one in the alley. But, yeah. Uh, but where I think she gets shortchanged is at the end of the film where she pretty much doesn't take part in any of the climactic battle and becomes woman in peril, which kind of annoyed me because they've shown her to be more than capable in this film. You know, she, she outsmarts Idris, you know, she, she outsmarts Brixton at the start of the film, mm. but at the end of the film, because she's attached to this goddamn machine, she does yeah. nothing but she- get kidnapped. While I get what you mean, Neil, and I, I do understand why it, it might feel like that. For me, one of the reasons it worked is because it's in contrast so strongly to these I-can't-be-seen-to-lose tough guys who have to be constantly beating on and battling up to and including moment of potential death. It actually felt like one of the very, very few elements of uh, Mission Impossible 2 that I like, which is Tandy Newton's acceptance of her fate. And Mm. that she goes from being this incredibly smart, incredibly tough, determined, I will find a way out of this woman, to, you know what, it's hit the point now where I am going to have to accept that this choice I made is going to kill me and not want to go out kicking and screaming but just to accept that last sunrise as her last one I actually found that really quite powerful okay cool I hadn't thought of it that way so that's that's definitely a good way of looking at it as well Uh, For me, like I said earlier, uh, we've seen The Rock do this kind of role repeatedly Uh, in fact I'm, I'm looking forward to Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, we've seen this rock and roll. Oh, I just got it. Oh. Okay, we've seen the rock do this archetype of character repeatedly. Um, we've seen him play Luke Hobbs repeatedly. We've seen Statham play this type of character over and over again. 
I'm actually looking forward to Jumanji uh, The Next Level uh, because he's effectively, The Rock will be playing um, Danny DeVito inside The Rock. So that's something new. He'll be uh, having to access a different comedic core of himself. Uh, and, and also effectively do an impression of one of our best-loved actors. So there's that. But I was really impressed by Vanessa Kirby in Mission Impossible Fallout. I, I sat through that incredibly long film that everyone else loves. And I was like, okay, so, yep, it's long and convoluted. And, and Ethan is the center of everything, again, as always. But then this platinum blonde thin lady enters and just in talking to Tom Cruise, dominates the whole scene. And that is very unusual. Like, Tom Cruise is actually quite a generous actor at times, but it is it is rare that someone can just come along and who is effectively a nobody. Like, she's been in The Crown, so people who like TV will recognize her as Princess Margaret, and she's been in some other stuff, but she is a relative unknown to this kind of cinema. And she ate up that small part. She, do you remember the original Mission Impossible 1? Yep. Max. Wow. Is her mum. Okay. So she's Vanessa Redgrave's daughter. And I, like, I'd never seen her act before. And I was, okay, I completely get. She's kind of doing a Vanessa Redgrave impression, but at the same time, she's making it herself. I was watching her and thinking, you're Emma Frost. When Marvel do the X-Men, this is Emma Frost. If you watch the scene where she meets Ethan Hunt, the White Widow in Mission Impossible 6, on the scripted page... It's kind of a sparring session. But the way Kirby plays it, she leaves pauses as she studies him and takes control of the scene by what she doesn't say. It's quite astonishing to watch. There's no point me playing it for you now. You need to see her face. As far as I'm concerned, this film is not so much Hobbs and Shaw as Hattie Shaw plus her brother and his mate. (laughs) Again, like I, I agree with Neil in that she wasn't. She uh, she gets a little bit shortchanged at the end. I do like the fact that while she's sort of like you know it's being timed out, she still outwits the goon with the gun and effectively rescues herself. Yes. So like no one else gets to rescue her from that. So she has is con- in, back in control, has the gun, da 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 da, and she's like very firm the whole way through about what's going to happen with these things in her hand. She again she can go up against these two incredibly charismatic men and own the scene i was so impressed again not just because she's a woman but because of her relative obscurity she's able to command a measure of respect instantly that takes serious charisma and she's young and she's holding her own against seasoned professionals yeah and uh, also she'd been training her ass off she i believed her as someone who could ki- like who was an mma fighter so, um, so yeah, that, that was uh, the, 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 the crowning glory for me um, to, to, to watch this film. I was very much charmed by her. And uh, uh, frankly, I hope she turns up in Mission Impossible 7 and 8. Mm. The other thing, actually, that I really liked about her performance was I totally believe her as Helen Mirren's daughter. Yeah. Yeah. More Helen Mirren. Just more. Please, mm. please. Those were the uh, the stronger aspects of it. I also did love the going back to Samoa and uh, reclaiming his heritage. That the that it was really lovely to see the Rock actually do that, and sort of recapturing the tribal uh, side of it. That that reminded me actually of the end of Predator when uh, uh, Schwarzenegger go, goes back to absolute basics in order to take down this technologically advanced threat. Yeah, it's really cool because the mm. you've probably seen it in the trailers where she's got rid of the guns and. Yeah, they don't need guns. 
they, yeah. they, they outsmart their enemy. It would have been and, nice if the trailer hadn't spoiled that bit because it would yeah. have been a great surprise. But uh, eh, it's a trailer. The other thing as well as if thinking back on it is when we hit Samoa is when the colour turns up. Yeah. Yeah. And Russia sorry a hell of a lot of that out the that screen. That whole bit in the Ukraine, I could have done with so much less of that and so much more of the Samoan section. Mm. Yeah, it, it sort of its middle is a bit long-winded. It probably could do with being cut down. I mean, it might have been a, a little bit more mm. pacier and better for it. Because I think if this was a bit 90-minute film... If they could have cut it down that much, I don't know. But I think it would have been a lot better for it. Yeah, it's a slick, fast movie. So uh, having you know, you know some brevity in the runtime, Mission Impossible, would have been... No, no one's going to complain that the movie was too short. Mm. Only really that of the drama that we actually get to see, more would have been appreciated, even at the expense of some of the action. And definitely at the expense of some of the bitching. And that, that is really funny now that we are literally discussing the Fast and the Furious in the same same reference as Mission Impossible in, as two franchises which quite possibly have similar problems with lead actors who may not want mm. to give up that lead actor role. In terms of long-running franchises, I think it's pretty safe to say that the two of them are kind of neck and neck in terms of delivery of action, delivery of set pieces that are jaw-dropping movie after movie. Though Fast and Furious always has the edge for me because of the emotional engagement with a multitude of characters. Well, I mean, for a start, like, when you first meet Hattie, she seems to be in a Mission Impossible movie. She's, like, you know, super uh, uh, serious about what she's doing, and the way it's directed actually reminded me of Chris McQuarrie's direction in that. Anywho, <clears throat> okay, so that was uh, Fast and Furious. Where can folks find your stuff, Neil? You can find me over at the Gameburst podcast. That's Gameburst.com, uh, where we bring you a weekly news show and a roundtable discussion on a Thursday. And Sharon and I will be back next week with a wonderful little movie set in Dublin in 1985 called Sing Street. And it only made $13 million, which to me suggests a lot of you guys have not yet seen it. So make it your business to see this film. We will not be able to spoil it for you. We will be able to make it better for you. So if you listen to us and then go watch it, it'll still be fantastic, maybe even better. But what you do not want to do is not see Sing Street because it will make you feel great. It's also kind of sad and melancholy, but at the same time, it's very uplifting. Uh, And it's got some of the most fun 80s teenagers trying their absolute best to be Duran Duran and The Cure (laughs) music video sequences you'll ever see. So, folks, you now know your homework for next week. And we're going to end on the uh, trailer music, which is The Under by Fight featuring Panther. And it's just a fucking... This song slaps. I haven't used that phrase yet, but as far as I can tell, like, if something slaps, it's this. Alex. Yeah? Please don't use that phrase again. Okay, that's the one time I'm using it. Otherwise, I get slaps. Anyway, this has been it from us. Uh, I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And... School's School's out. Tell you true lies, we gon' toe to toe.
man, what's your shoe size? Ay, two katanas, I make it hot like we in Punta Duck your cameras, duck your traffic up in some balaclavas Fucking savage, we come to ravage Flexing like Mohammed Ali Standing tall all over you average Make way, black rage On my feet wearing black shades Like I'm played in these streets since a dark day Watch the sharks spray on weak Take your diamonds off, you call it blue street Cause it's war time Make way, black rage On my feet wearing black shades Make way, black rage on my feet, wearing black shades. 